This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You're listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. Exile, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. <laughs> Give me a name. Like Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. All right, welcome once again to the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. I am Rich Craig alongside, as always, a man who has achieved godlike status, the king of banter, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's happening? Yes, how are you? Good, 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 good. So I, I'm not going to waste any time here, Joe. We have talked right. a lot of times on the show that, you know, you and I don't want to be... We never because we we hear from people all the time and and, and people say oh you, you know you guys you, you, you know both both sarcastically and and realistically sarcastically well if you guys know everything about wrestling why don't you just make your own company and oh what have you ever done or all that sort of stuff and then people have said oh you know you guys should do shows you like and we've always said we are never putting a single dime into like running a pro wrestling show ever that's the last thing in the world that I want to do but we have always said that if if a company called us similar to what Gato does in New Japan for wrestling and says hey guys. I, have, I, I need some help on this booking. I need you guys to grab the pencil for a minute and tell me how to get through this and navigate through this. That we, you and I would be fine doing that, correct? Sure. As long yeah, as there's no want... stake in it. Yeah, as long as there's no money in the, the, the game. You know, we'll give you our, our great ideas all the time. We're always right anyway, so. That's right. I mean, if you're going to pay me and I'm going to be making money no matter what, I, I, I'd love to come in and book your show into oblivion. No problem. Absolutely. Well, this is good because what has happened now is, uh, and, and perfect, it just encapsulates the year 2019 uh, for old Ring of Honor, is that they are giving us, Joe, us the chance to book their show coming up in Pittsburgh on November 2nd. Uh, this might be open to the public, but I'm under the assumption that it's just for us. Uh, exclusively for us, Joe. It is ROH The Experience. Are you ready here to book ROH The Experience for them? I'm ready to book it. I'm ready to put, get No Remorse Corpse in there against uh, <laughs> Vulture pretty, Squad. And- I, there, there's multiple choice, but I'm assuming there's a spot where you can you can enter in your own thing. So, yeah, I'm going to get uh, Andy Right Leg Ridge to come back, uh, make his, his triumphant return uh, to Ring of Honor. Uh, Bobby Dempsey, who I think still listens to the show. He'll probably put himself over now that he listened to this part of the, the show. So I want Bobby Dempsey out there. Uh, Tank Toland, a little Tank Toland. Can I book Davey Richards? I really like Davey Richards. I think he, I don't know if he's on this list of people we can book, but we can we can try here. So okay, let's 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 do this. There's a few questions we have to answer here. Uh, this is all, jo- all joking aside. If you uh, all want to help book Ring of Honor's November second show, you could do so at rohwrestling.com uh, because they have now just thrown up their hands and said, you know what, you fucking do it. <laughs> like, we're so bad. Yeah, sure. Okay, you think we're bad? Like Delirious is basically saying, you think I'm shit? Well, here you go. Hot shots. Here's your chance. What would you do in this situation? So, uh, I appreciate so wait the, the a candor. So, wait a second. Is this a shoot? Like the whoever wins these polls, these are going to be the matches. Yeah, I'm not sure. So, I, I actually have not clicked through any of these because I don't want to spoil anything. So, I don't know if it gives you like uh, a total or if this is a show. all it says. Okay, 
Here's the press release uh, from ROHWrestling.com. It says, quote, the fans are in charge as Ring of Honor presents The Experience, ROH's most interactive show at Pittsburgh's Stage AE on November 2nd. The matchups and stipulations for that night's event will be t- determined by fan voting. Voting is open now through Wednesday, October 30th. The results will be revealed at The Experience. So um, I don't know if these are shoots, but, um, eh, you know, <laughs> it couldn't be any worse than what they're doing, so... Sounds like it's a shoot. It sounds like there. Here's what we need to do. We need to get our listeners together because I think we can overtake this poll. Okay, so everybody listening, we're, we're is this a, what you and I decide? Our listeners are going to have to do the same, right? Yeah, I think if if all of our listeners go to this site and do what we choose, our choices might win. We can just stuff the ballot box. It's not a bad idea. I mean, how many other podcasts are doing this or devoting time to their show to, you know, booking ROH experience? Very few, especially at the top. So uh, I like that idea. I like that. So if you're listening right now and you want to you wanna be a part of a movement, you want to elicit change in the world, then just do exactly what Joe and I do. I'll put the link in the uh, description for uh, uh, the episode. But you can also go to ROHwrestling.com uh, as well to do this. All right, let's do this. Got a few choices here. Uh, we have one to pick Dragon Lee's opponent. So it says Mexican star Dragon Lee is one of the most dynamic competitors in pro wrestling. The former IWGP heavyweight champion and younger brother of ROH world champion Roosh wants to face the best competition in the world, and he'll get his wish at the experience, regardless. All of right, I know who I, I know who I want. <laughs> is it still Davey Richards? Because he's not on the list. No, Hiromu. Um, unless Hiromu has changed his name, uh, you can only choose from these four men, Joe. Choose Dragon Lee's opponent. PJ Black, Jeff Cobb, Kenny King, K-I-N-G, King, and Eli Isom. Well, I don't want any of those guys. I want Hiromu. <laughs> That's the four we can choose. We can't. I, I agree. It should be open balloting, but it's not. Those are the four we can choose. There's All no right in right votes. Well, I, I apologize. Well, we want to obviously book the worst show possible, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. By the way, yeah, if you're not listening, we're not going to book a show that's good. Like this, There's no right. way we'd try to rally the troops to book like a good show. No, we are going to find the worst picks of every single one of these. To, to the, the one that like definitely minimizes the talent of every competitor in the ring. So this is this is a good one because Dragon Lee, one of the best high flyers in the world, there's a few different ways you can go if you want to you know, destroy this. Like I wouldn't go Jeff Cobb because I think Jeff Cobb and Dragon Lee could probably have a pretty good match. Uh, PJ Black, I think PJ Black, I, well, I'll, you know, I'm your vote as well, but I feel like PJ Black and, and, and Dragon Lee should have a pretty, you know, could have a potentially good match. Uh, Eli Isom is is not great, but I think that him and Dragon Lee could put together something pretty decent. He's, he's you know, a decent young wrestler. And that leaves Kenny King. I feel like that's the only choice, right? K-I-N-G <laughs> King! King! I'll put Kenny King, because, like, that just absolutely minimizes everything that Dragon Lee does well. Kenny King stinks. Like, that's perfect, right? Kenny King, Dragon Lee, are we doing it? Well, here's the thing. But I want, any arguments you can bring to the table, please. Yeah, nobody knows who Eli Isom is. So, I feel like, at least Kenny King is a star in that world, right? And that's probably the most marketable of those matches for Ring of Honor. And we're trying to sink the show here. We want people to be disappointed okay. when they show up in Pittsburgh. Well, do you want disappointment in terms of like the actual card or disappointment in terms of how the matches actually finish? I think that's, I guess, what we have to determine here. Now, listen, if I'm sitting in that building in Pittsburgh and Dragon Lee's in the ring and he's like running the ropes and stretching and I hear 
K-I-N-G, king, king, I'm going to be disappointed, right? But I really feel like you gotta, we got to put ice on right? I mean, he's just a total non-entity. And I feel like they put him on there because they knew he'd get no votes. Okay. So okay. The- I, see, I see your strategy. That, that is a proof of concept for us, that if, if Isom wins, it is probably yes. because we rallied troops. Because, like, Kenny King might just win organically. Jeff Cobb might just win organically. PJ Black would maybe be a good pick, but that match might actually be pretty okay. And right. He's a name, but you're right that Isom would be a proof of concept for us, that if, if we rallied everybody to vote for Eli Isom. If Isom comes out of that curtain... Our evil chicanery has won. You see what I'm saying? Okay. No one's voting for him. So you're in more just like rapid sabotage, like not not necessarily wanna, like like not necessarily a show that's good or like you just want to know that we sabotage the show in some way. I want to sabotage the fuck out of this show. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm going to cast a vote for Eli Sim. I, I I agree with your point. You have won that argument. I'm going to submit my vote. Are we good with that? I want like when Desmond Wolf won the TNA poll. <laughs> they just lied and said he didn't. <laughs> when they didn't want him to win it. That's what I want to happen here. Okay. I love that. Like how many, like, cause you asked, is this a shoot or a work or whatever? And how many times in wrestling history have these dumb companies used these as a shoot? Like TNA literally was like, Oh, Hey, it's open voting. And then Desmond Wolf just like ran away with the vote. The, you know, the, the, the future Nigel or the former Nigel Guinness, eventually again, Nigel McGuinness or whatever. And they just like said that he won and then just, I forgot what happened, but didn't they just, like, beat him one week and just be like, fuck you, it doesn't matter anymore who won the poll, like, who cares? And they just never talked about it ever again, even though they could have just worked the fucking poll. It's wrestling. Table Tuesday, I think, did that, too. They would, like, they're like, oh, shit, we're stuck with this Table guy. Like, no, you're not. It's wrestling. Just do whatever. Just lie. You're professional liars. You don't have to do yeah, it. But anyway. I, yeah, but I respect following through with the fans' wishes. And I, the fans' wishes here is Eli Isom versus Dragon Lee, a main event in any building in the country. All right. Well. Potentially in, in Pittsburgh as well. So, all right, let's submit our vote there. Uh, thank you for your votes. Uh, watch the experience live on Honor Club Saturday, November 2nd. See the results field yes. live. Okay. All right. <clears throat> we got pick the challengers to face ROH World Tag Team Champions, the Briscoes. So, one of these teams will receive the first ever shot, their first ever shot at the ROH World Tag Team titles. Will one of these tandems pull off a huge upset? So, uh, I'm going to need some help here, Joe, because I don't know if I know who three of these teams are. So... <laughs> choose who will face the Briscoes for the tag team titles uh, Josh Woods and Silas Young Master and Machine the Tate Twins and the Soldiers of Savagery okay well the Tate Twins are the boys yes I do know that uh, you should know Silas Young and Josh Woods I got those yeah who are, who are the Master and the Machine and the Soldiers of Savagery I have no fucking clue. <laughs> okay, we better look this up. I was hoping you knew who those guys were. These might not even be real people. Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh. Master Machine, I don't think is real. But uh, let me uh, let me actually try. <laughs> this, this is so bad. Three of us are so bad. What a terrible okay. company they hired. <laughs> The best news this week. While I'm looking so, this up, the best news this week in Ring of Honor history is <laughs> is Maria Maniac. They sign her for a six-month deal. She debuts, beats everybody up, and then they forget to book her in six months and her country expires. Yeah. I mean, every every embarrassing story that happens in ROH like tops the last embarrassing story that happened in ROH. They let someone's contract run out who never wrestled a single match. <laughs> Not in one match ever. At <laughs> her debut angle, she beat everybody up too. She beat everybody up. And on the last pay-per-view, she beat everybody up. (laughs) 
And she never wrestled a match, and her contract's up, and she's trying out for WWE. It's like, how much did they pay her for six months? I don't know. What a deal. What a Lanny Poffo deal that was, man. But at least, like, at least Lanny Poffo just never showed up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he just got a check because they were being nice to Savage or Randy or whatever, so they just let him. But, like, <laughs> they had her debut. No, this would be like, this is different than Poffo. I'm going to tell you why. This would be like if, if Lanny Poffo showed up two or three times during his contract beat up the entire NWO. Yeah, took them all left. down and just went to the back and then you never saw him again. And yeah, she she completely humiliated their women's division two or three times and never wrestled a match. And now she's just gone. <laughs> so it's like, now they're just like, listen, we clearly don't know how to do this. So you know what? The fans can just book these shows from now on. They should do this for every show. They really should. They really should just become uh, the, the people's company here. Where you just okay? Are you ready now? I got the uh, okay. The so it's it's very obvious they want Silas Young and Josh Woods to win this. Correct. Play. So who are these other two? Okay, teams? so these- the master and the machine is Griff Garrison and Marcus Cross. Do you know anything about uh, Griff Garrison or Marcus Cross? Yes. You know who Marcus Cross is? I don't. I think he's the Dragon Ball Z guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Google that. Hurry up. Hold let's on. See. I'll let's do find it. out. No, I got it. I got it. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm, I'm on his page right now. Marcus Cross. All right. Let's see here. Oh, God. All right. Let's see. Marcus Cross. Yes. Yeah, that's him. That's him. So that's our pick then, right? That's our pick. I okay. mean, it's all over. Then who cares about this? Yeah. The Sons of Savagery are... Uh, are Jasper Khan and Moses Maxis, but nobody cares because Dragon oh? Ball Z guy. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Dragon Ball Z guy. All right. Marcus Wait a Cr- minute. Are these the, are these like all of the uh, Future of Honor geeks that they I think upload so. on YouTube? Yeah, I think so. So, You know the best Future of Honor geek ever on, on, on the YouTube was Sal Renaro, and I'm going to tell you why. They were featuring Sal Renaro. <laughs> like 39 years old. That's not even the worst part. They were featuring Sal Renaro on the Future of Honor YouTube uploads something like almost 15 years after he held the Ring of Honor tag team titles. This man was a former Ring of Honor tag team champion in like 2005. <laughs> say Future of Honor. They did almost, with, uh, who was the other guy too? Oh, uh, it wasn't Caprice. It was, oh my God, who the hell was it? It was another guy who had been there for... For years, and they still <laughs> did. Let me let me find out who exactly it was. But that's you're, you're right, Sal. That is a, an all time one, though. Yeah, Sal Renaro, who now is uh, wrestling weekly on the NWA on YouTube, um, doing television jobs. But Future of Honor, even though he held our World Tag Team titles 14 years earlier, <laughs> this man is the future of Ring of Honor. Oh my God! Oh, Ring of Honor. Anyway, whatever. I'm just gonna go. Oh, we got. We got. I don't want to talk about Ring of Honor for the whole show. So, Master Machine is is officially our vote then. Oh, we gotta go with the Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, yeah. Guy. So, Master and even though I'd love to go with those two geeks, who I have no clue who they are. <laughs> um, we gotta go with the Dragon Ball. Z. So, Dragon Ball Z guy. Uh, so, Master Machine, Dragon Ball Z, featuring Dragon Ball Z guy against the Briscoes is our second pick. Master Machine. I'm submitting the vote right there, and we are off. All right. Pick the stipulation. Jonathan Gresham versus Mark Haskins. We have three choices here, Joe. We have pure rules. You love an ROH pure wrestling match. You have European rounds, and you have two out of three falls. Um, I think a lot of people would like to see Gresham in a pure rules match, so we're not going to give the people no, no, absolutely not. No, that, that, I, I was going to strike that one from the record right away because that's actually might like played into his strengths, and that's not that's not what we're doing here. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, fuck Pittsburgh. So, um, European rounds. That's kind of you annoying. Know, yeah, I kind of like European rounds, I think. It's an annoying stipulation. Uh, Cassius Ono and Sid Scala had a very good one on NXT UK a couple weeks ago, but... So, yeah, I, and Gresham might enjoy that. We don't want anyone to enjoy themselves on this show. So, let's go best two out of three falls because I think that they'll, you know, rush through the first two falls and have a typical shitty best two out of three falls match. Let's go with two out of three falls. Okay, we'll do two out of three falls then. I think that's – there's yeah. not really a, good, a great pick here. This one's a little disappointing. We couldn't – because any one of those might actually work out for these. But, yeah, two out of three falls are always annoying. So, uh, yeah. that'll be good there. All right. <clears throat> We have uh, a stipulation again. Pick the stipulation for Tracy Williams versus Flip Gordon. So we have three we can choose from here. We have a last man standing match, a Singapore cane match, or a strap match. This is tough, man. There are two of my least favorite stipulations in these selections. So, Joe, I want you to make the pick. You know the two I'm talking about for sure, and it's not Singapore cane. But which of those two? I want you to make the final decisions because I cannot choose. Those are two of my least favorite of all time. So Tracy Williams was the silver ant. Did you know that, Rich? I didn't. Thank you. Did you know that Tracy Williams was the green ant before he was the silver ant? You know, I did, actually, you know, I did know that. I don't know if I knew that he was the silver ant. I thought you were being facetious there. That's interesting. He moved did over. you know that? Did you know that Orange Cassidy was the fire ant? You monster! How dare you? <laughs> did you know that Drew Gulak was the soldier ant? I did. Yeah, I could tell that one. That one was. You did. That was a dead yeah. giveaway. Yeah, because yeah, like Drew Gulak was in like tremendous shape always, and like Soldier Ant came out and just had like great traps and stuff. And you're like, oh, that dude's like, because the rest of these guys, like you could tell when it was Orange Cassidy, you could tell, and it was fucking Peaky Sanchez or, or whoever. But then like Soldier Ant oh. came out, and you're like, oh, that guy's built. That's a, that's a wrestler right there. Uh, yeah, at one point, I think I, I went to a Chikara show and uh, Gulak had wrestled the match prior, uh, and Soldier Ant came out. And he was still sweating, even though that was like his first match of the night, quote unquote. So I was like, ah, hold on a minute. Hold Did on. you know that? Uh, Pinky Sanchez uh, was indeed one of the ants. I don't remember which fucking one. Worker ant or some shit. Go with that, yeah. Even though he's the anti-worker ant, but that's all right. Yeah. Uh, maybe that was the rip. Maybe it was. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe uh, old quack put uh, one over us. There. Do you know John Silver was the shard? I didn't, actually. That's good. That's a good one. All right. There you go. Um, all others were Chuck Taylor. Yes, every other Chikara was Chuck Taylor. Yeah. Yes, Boar of Moldova and uh, whatever the fuck. The fucking Hermit Crab. All the rest were Chuck Taylor. He's just, he's the answer. He really was the, uh, wasn't he the fucking Prince of Aberbajan or some shit? Yeah, what was yeah, that yeah, one? yeah. I forget. That. I, I, I know the one you're talking about, which you could tell through the mask that it was Chuck Taylor, which I enjoyed uh, as well. Right. I, I forget the name of it, and, and I don't care. I don't think so. You want to just unmask Jakar wrestlers for the rest uh, of the night? I mean, we could. We, we absolutely could. But I, I, I you know, are you, you bored sabotaging this ROH show? No, no, no. Okay, so which of these two stipulations you hate? So I hate last man standing and strap matches. But I can't decide which I hate more. I feel like a last man standing match might actually be mildly cool. Or a strap match is always bad. A strap match, there's never been a good strap match, ever. Yeah. Um, you know what else is bad? Chikara is bad. <laughs> But let's do the last man standing. Nothing's worse than the last man standing match. Let's go with the last man standing. You know, I, I kind of want a strap match. All right, let's go strap. I was going to say, you is that what? okay? Is that okay? I, I, I really want to argue about for a strap match. The more I'm thinking about it, You're the more I'm... You're going to make I'm, Flip Gordon not be able to do anything. You know what I mean? That's a good 
point. Right. Yeah, Last Man Standing, they're going to do a lot of cool spots. You're right. <laughs> Strap has nothing cool happens. It's just guys trying to go to corners, and then the heel will touch the fourth you know, corner before the babyface figured out that he touched the fourth corner. And oh, my God. Yes. So, yeah, it's a strap match is definitely the pick there. So, all right. Okay. Glad you saw it my way finally. Yeah, because you can do cool shit in the last man standing match. You, nothing is cool. Um, all right. Pick the partners for Rush and Matt Taven. So this is the partners for Roosh and Matt Taven. Uh, we have two, only two options here. So this is going to be a tough one to pick. So we have Roosh and Jay Lethal versus Matt Taven and Dalton Castle. Or Joe, get this. Roosh and Dalton Castle versus Matt Taven and Jay Lethal. I'm so confused. <laughs> um, what combination? So Rush is always on the opposite side of, of Taven, and, and Lethal is always on the opposite side of Castle. So who do you want to team with right. Roosh, and who do you want to team with, with, with Taven? I want L.A. Park to team with Taven, <laughs> and Mike Bennett to team with Roosh. Can we do that? <laughs> I don't think so. That's a good match, That's though. That's a great match. I'd, I'd buy that one. Yeah, this is unfortunately just these two options that we can choose. So. Let's put Dalton Castle with, with Roosh. Okay, yeah, to try to limit as much of Roosh as... Because uh... Lethal might... Well, that's a tough one. There's really no good choice out of those two matches. So let's do that. We're going to do Roosh and Dalton Castle uh, versus Matt Taven and Jay Lethal. Matt Taven and Jay Lethal sounds like a hellscape tag team. So uh, yeah, it's it really pretty does. good. All right, one more, Joe. One more. Pick the challengers to face ROH World's six-man tag team champions, Villain Enterprise. Villain Enterprise, of course, Marty Scroll, PCO, and Brody King. Joe, we have a huge list of guys to choose from. And this is where, this is where we can really nail it. You know what I mean? Like this is because yeah. this is a big list of guys. So we could if we tailor this and everybody else votes for this, that's listening to this, and this match happens, we will know that we have done it. So here, Joe, are your list of people. I don't know if you have a pen and paper, if you want to kind of keep track. Or we can do is have like, yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guy. We can put him down and then maybe go through and filter later. But I already know. Okay. So you've you got the list. So you're, you're ready. Okay. But I'm going to do it anyway I, for the purposes I of know. those listening. All right. I, I know who I want them to face. All right. I want them to face the Hangmen 3. Of, <laughs> the Backseat Boys. Yeah, no, the Backseat of, Boys. Of, not of, no, the Hangmen 3 of Brent Albright, Adam Pierce. And uh, who was the third Hangman Three? I um, joke here. I don't. I don't know. If I, I killed the gimmick. I don't remember the third Hangman Three. I don't remember the third Hangman Three. It was Adam Pierce. Oh, BJ, BJ Whitmer. Oh God, yeah, it was BJ Whitmer. And BJ Whitmer. Easy to forget yeah. BJ Whitmer. I get it. So. Yeah. Did you know that I once owned a Hangman Three T-shirt? <laughs> you forced to purchase that. You don't buy any wrestling merchandise. Why would you buy a Hangman 3 shirt? It's it's not true. I did not oh, ever own a say, Hangman 3. I was like, you've never bought any wrestling merch. And somehow you were compelled enough by the Hangman 3 to run to that merch table and say, give me whatever you guys got. I need this. I want this. I couldn't stand BJ Whitmer. <laughs> he was so bad. Couldn't stand him. God. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you remember when um, do you remember when Brent Albright Got booked in Mexico, and the poster said Brentol Bright, because <laughs> they like misunderstood his name, so they put Brentol Bright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They put Brent A L Brentol, like the first two letters of the last name they put on the first name. So you understand? Yeah, I do. So they, yeah, I know. I remember this. Yeah. The poster said Brentol, first name Brentol, last name Bright, Brentol Bright. So now, whenever Brent Albright comes up, 
I make the Brentel break. Which joke. I think it was earlier today. It came up. I remember you you saying that joke on Twitter earlier today. I think. It did on Twitter because anytime Brent Albright comes up, you have to say Brentel Bright. You know, I've been searching for that poster for like ten years. On, <laughs> I never on the found it. I, yeah, I just look for it right it. now. Yeah, I, I I know. I remember the story, and I remember making the rounds. Uh, maybe on the F4W uh, board or ROHWrestling.com or whatever the the old message board's there. But yeah, I have not seen it in quite some time. So someone someone has it somewhere on some hard drive, and, and we need it. So you know who has it? There's two people who could have it. Cubs fan. Yeah, I was gonna say Cubs maybe. And Chris Zellner. That's true. Zellner's got like an actual. Copy well, because of it Zellner too. used. To- <laughs> Well, no, he used to do the the Lucha update thread on the Figure Four board, and that's where I think I saw it. Mm, okay, he put the posters up. We'll have to we'll have to make a call. So to him. I want to yeah. track down. Yeah, I want to track down the Brental Bright poster. I would love to have a copy of that. I would legit put it up in my house. Above like your, not anywhere. Above your mantle, yeah, above your mantle, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like not where anyone can see it. But, right, right. Know, like in the room where you do this guy. podcast, and then you put it in a drawer when you're exactly. done. But. <laughs> be in the garage or something but i i would put it up for my yeah, own yeah. yeah and then like somebody might come over and you could be like hey remember brent albright and they're like uh i guess kind of <laughs> like yeah well hey let me and you tell the same story all over again so be good stuff all right yeah well someone would come over and say i would say do you remember brent albright and they'd go no because i don't watch wrestling and you're a dork and i would say yeah you got me there and that'd be the end of the conversation because normal people aren't going to know who Brent Albright is. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever had anybody in my house who would know. Well, no, maybe I've had some people in my house who would know Brent Albright. You know who they might know? Gunner Scott. <laughs> remember when Gunner Scott remember- to- Okay, fuck everything else we're going to do. Let's just do Let's Remember Some Guys. So let's remember some <laughs> ROH guys. All right, go ahead. Remember, remember when Gunner Scott lost to The Undertaker on SmackDown? I do. And then he was he was never seen again. That's it for Gunner Scott. I think he went back to Ring of Honor, where he resumed his career as Brentel Bright, if I'm not mistaken. But um, or, or he called it quits at that point. I can't remember. No, I think he came back for like four more years. He was he was there until like the die because he was in uh, the Sweet and Sour stable. I think for a little bit. Embassy, right? Yeah. Well, no, no, no. He was in he was in the Sweeney one, and I think he was in the Embassy as well. Well, he was. Definitely in Hangman Three. He was I can absolutely that definitively in the Hangman Three. We do know that, uh, but I believe I, I might be wrong. But I believe he was in Larry Sweeney's Sweet and Sour Inc. I don't know if he was a uh, an Embassy member. Well, Tank Tolan was an Embassy member. If that's who you're mixing up, so well, Tank Tolan was in Sweet and Sour Inc. Oh, that's true. Yeah, who was in the? There was a big beef dude in the uh, the Embassy, but I don't remember who it was. Necro Butcher. Yeah, it's not the beef guy. <laughs> no, I know. But he was in the embassy in two thousand. Turns, right? turns out when you turn uh, when you just type in the embassy, it doesn't come up with the Ring of Honor stable. Okay. Yeah. On Google, yeah. if you just type in the embassy, you have to be a little bit more specific uh, if you're asking for the Prince Not Led uh, ROH stable. So, oh my God, Eric was, Stevens. I may have been Eric, Eric Stevens. Stevens. Yeah. I, okay. So here's the. Ex- uh, oh wow, nice Wikipedia page here. This is the former members of the. Embassy. What are we doing? We have so much to yeah. get to. Former members of the embassy is Prince Nana. We know that. Of course. Uh, the future Donovan Dijakovic. Uh, Jimmy what? Rafe. No, he was not. Yes, he Wait, was. Yes, he was. I, I'm positive he was. When I remember was that. Donovan the Jet Dodge. Wait a minute. He was in Ring of Honor in like 2014. When was the, he in the embassy? No, he was. They were. I think they did like a, a weird reboot of the embassy. Really? I, I'm pretty sure it didn't last very long, if I remember correctly. Listen, that's not your father's embassy. I don't care about some hokey 2014 era embassy. I'm talking. 
the old school original embassy. 2017. Okay. 2017 at Feb I, I, at the February 27th Ring of Honor TV tapings. Dijak, maybe this may have been 2016, whatever. Uh, Dijak came out with Prince Nana and attacked Truth Martini, turning heel and making the rare double turn with Jay Lethal and becoming Prince Nana's latest crown jewel in the embassy stable. So there. I have no, I have no recollection of that. <laughs> You could be making that up, and I promise I'm not. I promise I'm not. And you got me. Who were the? Who were the like? Okay, there's the Jimmy Rave era embassy. Okay, then there's like the 2009 era when Adam Pierce was booking HDNet embassy. Those are the only embassies that I recognize. When you know, like, uh, what was the girl's name? Jade Young or Jade? Uh, uh yeah, her name. Uh, Jade, Jade Chung. Jade Chung. Jade Chung. Is that the one you're thinking? Yeah. Of? And didn't she used to get on all fours and they'd use her as a stepping stool to get in the ring? They did, yeah, which is a little that that would go <laughs> not over great. Yeah, not that great. would go over very well today. <laughs> that would go over tremendously today. Could you imagine that? My God, today? yeah, I know. Can you ever imagine most Ring of Honor things today? <laughs> it's incredible how fast the world changes, right? Jimmy Jimmy Rave using her as a step stool to get into the ring. My God, um, but those are the embassies I'm interested in. Well, Necro I, Butcher. I like this. This list is actually pretty fantastic here. So, I'm, I'm, so you have Jimmy Rave, as you mentioned, uh, Daisy Hayes, uh, Sal Renaro. Uh, Sal Renaro was, was once a uh, an embassy member. Alex Shelley, we remember that. Uh, Abyss. I don't remember yeah. Abyss, uh, but I guess. Yeah, no, yeah, oh, no, yeah, yeah. Of course, he was. Couple uh, shows, couple shows. Yeah, couple. The, the aforementioned Jade Chung. <laughs> the yeah, stepping stool. Uh, Fast Eddie, John Walters, Xavier, the first Ring of Honor champion. The Outlaw Killers with a Z. Not the, first, not the first champion, but. Are you sure? Oh, he's yeah. the second. He was the second. That's right. That's right. Uh, Angel Williams, Vanessa Harding, Josh Daniels, Ugh. Uh, Mike Cruel, Conrad Kennedy III. <laughs> what? I don't know who that is. Sean Davari, Bison Smith, Necro Butcher. Oh, now we're getting into 09. Yeah, right. we're getting to go. Rhino. Yeah, Claudio Casanoli. That I think that's the beefcake I was thinking of is, is Claudio. Uh, Joey Ryan, apparently a former. Uh, I do not remember the Joey Ryan in the Embassy uh, era, but apparently that happened. Is that the whole? No, there's a Matt, uh, Matt Seidel, Eric Stevens, Tommaso Ciampa, uh, Ernie Osiris, Mia Yim, Artie Evans, Veda Scott, Stokely Hathaway, and Moose. All right, that's yeah, like the Stokely Veda Scott, but that's. That's like I don't recognize that. That's an unrecognized embassy. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, but Eric Stevens was the one you were thinking of. I said him before. He must have been the guy. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, maybe. But okay, let's let's get to this. We got we got to get to this. Necro Butcher was a great embassy because yes, he was. Did, yes, he was. Do you remember when? Do you remember when Ernie Osiris um, was doing the gimmick where he was playing a? This is another Ring of Honor gimmick that would never play oh. today. <laughs> remember when Ernie Osiris was a homeless panhandler mm-hmm. who would walk around the crowd asking for coins. Yeah. He found us that? after the show once and like he would, he would stay with the gimmick. Like we, we would always like walk yes. to our cars and we walked by this park and he was like, Hey, you got any money? You guys got any spare change? And we're like, okay, whatever. He's like, no, seriously, I got to get a train ride back home. And we're like, all right, dude. And he like, he like kept yeah. following us. And like, at some point my friend was like, dude, like stop. Like, like it's not yeah. fun. Like, like leave us alone. Cause we weren't actually, cause we weren't like, he was playing the gimmick. Well, we were like, wait a minute. Does Ernie Osiris really need money for like a train ride? home? Like, is that, <laughs> is that actually possible that that's like, cause then we got like, kind of like, we were like, all right. Uh, yeah. And then my friend was like, Dude, do you actually need money? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, is this the part of the gimmick? And he wouldn't break. He wouldn't break. To Ernie Osiris' credit, he wouldn't break. And eventually That's he awesome. lost and then went I to mean, the next crew. He probably made some good money doing that. Like, imagine the amount of people that probably did give him money. Was he able to pocket that, you think? 
Well, I mean, here's the thing. Wrestlers do that today. They just have Ko-Fi accounts. <laughs> right. so it's, it's the same thing. I mean, it's no different. At least Ernie Osiris was just upfront about it, and he had like a, a he had like a metal coffee mug, like the old school. Yeah, arm jingle, yeah, you know, jingle really loudly too. It was pretty good stuff. Yeah. yeah, and he had like the fingerless gloves, and he smelled like a dead animal. It was like a really good encapsulation of a hobo. He was he was a derelict. That was the gimmick, and he lived it. You know, so Ring of Honor used to fucking rule. Yeah, like yeah, this, this stuff is awesome. Yeah. This stuff is great. <laughs> like these gimmicks are tremendous. You know, just not giving a fuck. You know, but now, yeah, different world. All right, who are our choices here? All right, here's the choices we have. All right, <clears throat> I said keep keep a mental tally of who you want, and then we can maybe like pare it down a little bit, or they might be obvious picks for you. Um, so choose who will challenge the villain enterprises for the six man titles. Now there are multiple names that we have maybe already picked before. So that might be a good pick too, to have a double dip uh, for some of these guys. Cause there's not enough people on the roster to sustain like multiple <laughs> pick your own. Okay. So basically these choices are everyone that's booked that night. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, right. uh, beer city bruiser, Caprice Coleman, Colt Cabana, Dalton castle, Eli Isom, Joe Hendry, Kenny King, Matt Taven, <laughs> Rhett Titus, Shaheem Ali, Brian Malonis, Cheeseburger, Dak Draper, Delirious, eh, booking yourself there, Josh, uh, Josh Woods, Jeff Cobb, LSG, PJ Black, Ryan Nova, and Silas Young. So, okay, a few names that, that stuck out to me. I want to book, I want to double book Eli Isom if possible. But up to you. Um, okay, King, so we'll double. Kingpin, we'll, is, gonna... Kingpin is a must, right? Oh God, Kingpin is a fucking lock. Okay, okay. I was gonna. I already checked him. I just wanted to make sure you also did too. But okay, so and we got the Kingpin gonna, for sure. And we're gonna double book Eli Ice. Okay. So people get a double dose of Eli Ice. <laughs> so now, do we double book somebody else, or do we pick just another like complete shit bag? No, there's a lot of choices here. Dak Draper, I refuse to accept as a real. Turn. I think he won their top prospect tournament. So. Okay, that is such an NXT name. It's like. Someone was watching a cowboy game after they watched Mad Men, and then voila, we've got Dak Draper. You know, it's like, is his tag team partner like Ezekiel Whitman? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know Andrew Rich got that one, um, but it's like he's a contender. I heard some other awful one. Ryan, I like, I, I, like I kind of like Delirious too. I like him having to like you know see his own creation blow up in his face is a pretty good one. Okay, I think that's it then. So we'll do Kingpin, <laughs> Eli Isom, double booked, <laughs> delirious, and delirious. Okay, that's the team. is that okay? So that's it. So okay, when you go to choose uh, who will challenge Villain Enterprise for the six man titles, you want to pick Eli Isom, uh, Brian Milanis, the the Kingpin, and delirious. Yeah. All right, good. Yeah, submitted. Yeah. And now we wait for November second. <laughs> ROH is the experience. So. <laughs> this. Unfortunately, this bit does not have an instantaneous payoff. Right, we've so got to, we've got to wait till we've November. Stew on it, yeah, which might get better with time, but uh, yeah, it might be like a nice slow cooked uh, <laughs> meal here that we're, you know, just lets the juices sort of simmer and everything kind of come together. Or uh, yeah, so the payoff not instant, uh, not good, but hey, we're gonna find out uh, <laughs> in a little bit of time. But Joe, you know what was a fairly instant payoff as we're kind of transitioning into the next topic here? Are you ready for a victory lap, Joe? I know you always are. I listen. I've stretched out my quads, and uh, my hamstrings are prepared for this. What are we lapping? We are lapping the firing of one Eric Bischoff. His reign as uh, executive producer of SmackDown Live 
lasted, I don't know, about two months or so at the time when it happened. We came onto the show and said, okay, the Paul Heyman, you know, because they were hired on the same day. Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff hired on the same day uh, ahead of uh, what was going to be a particularly not good uh, investor call. So we kind of said, first off, okay, well, these moves are both sort of meant for that investor call to say, hey, look, uh, yeah, we understand things aren't going well, but we've hired two, you know, great minds. And then, yeah, it was it was that. It was just talk for the investor call. But at the time as well, we said that, okay, you're going to pick Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff. And, yeah, there's some issues with, with maybe picking both of those guys as, like, the next leaders or whatever. But you and I both had a lot of confidence in Paul Heyman. A, to stick around and last there, and B, to, to, to at least get some sort of influence or book a, a competent show. Or write a competent show, or whatever he's whatever he's allowed to do. We had the utmost confidence, in Paul Heyman, because he's Paul Heyman. Like there's there's not it's all not going to be good. There's going to be some bad along the way. But for the most part, anything that Heyman touches, or most stuff that Heyman touches, ends up at least being somewhat good. Yeah, no, there, there's some bad stuff along the way, but by and large, good. Right, a, a good wrestling mind, a smart wrestling mind, a logical wrestling mind, a guy who's always looking for the next step. We we, we said that at the time that Paul, we thought Paul Heyman would be fine. Yes. It, did not say the same for Eric Bischoff. <laughs> I went on a giant rant about I don't understand why the hell you would hire Eric Bischoff. We went through all this sort of thing. And I think you ended up with just saying, Rich, don't even worry about it. All he's there to do is just be a yes man, sit at a meeting with Fox executives, shake a hand once or twice, and then sit in an office. And then eventually when they want to fire him, they'll fire him. Well, <laughs> here we that, are. That is correct. That is what I said, correct. Here we are. So they... Uh, <laughs> this is the original thing. So apparently, uh, according to everything that we sort of heard, is that he really didn't do anything, which made sense. Because what would he do? What would he know? He doesn't know anything about modern wrestling. So we had the idea that you know, and everybody, we had some you know people telling us and whatnot, and then it became kind of uh, uh, you know out there. Dave Meltzer talked about it. Brian Alvarez talked about it in F4W online like dot com or whatever. That like Bischoff would show up and he would just kind of like meander around the office and he'd hang out at catering and he'd kind of get in the room and we'd heard, oh, he's observing. He's learning. He's soaking everything in. He's he's learning all about this wrestling world around him. And it's like, oh, okay. Should, probably should do that before you, you know, do the job, but okay. Like, and, and then it was like, weeks would go by and then, you know, weeks would go by and we're like, all right, is he still kind of observing and, and thinking about what he's going to do? And, and, and now we're just here. Like, so we just, I, I don't know. Nobody had any like thing that they said he did. There was no fingerprints of anything that he achieved. So I, I, I guess he got paid two months to go to catering and, and fuck around in Stanford, Connecticut. Like I, what was this? It, I think it was exactly what we said it was, it was something to tell investors on an otherwise um, horrible investor call filled with nothing but bad news. And like we said at the time, you have to show up to something like that with actions. You can't just show up and say, yep, things are bad. Oh, well. <laughs> Getting better. Now. We promise it'll be better next time. <laughs> right. You've got to have some actions. And those were names that people recognized. And, um, oh, Eric, Eric Bischoff. Wow. You know, they, you know, uh, people who don't know any better. And, um, I really believe that was the sole purpose or the primary purpose of both of these moves. And I mean, Heyman at least was plugged in and with the company and, um, you know, and, and, and I'm sure they have some sort of legitimate faith in him. But I, I, I said at the time that I didn't think that, the Bischoff thing was a serious hire. And then when you hear stories that the one strength he was supposed to bring to the table was schmoozing with the Fox executives due to his experience dealing with television people. And, you know, 
I was reading the Observer earlier today, and it says he even botched that a few times and pissed off the Fox people. So at that point, what purpose do you serve? Right. You know, this is a guy going to meetings and then he would, you know, go home and eat dinner and then he would turn his phone off and, you know, nobody could contact him. It's <laughs> a nice hustle. I love it, though. <laughs> he's the boss, you know, and it's like they need him, you know, and everybody knows the demands of that job. You work well into the night and the, the infamous stories. Vince McMahon does not sleep. Yeah, he'll call you, you at 3 a.m. with an idea that he has. And, and yeah. Yeah, the meetings run all night long, and and it turns out Bischoff was just – he was treating it like a nine-to-five, and he was going to work, and then he'd go home, and he would just – that was it. That was the end of Eric for the day. But that's not what that job is. That job is basically you're on call, you know, and, and, and the meetings run well into the night, and he just – the guy just wasn't coming to work, you know, and, and so it's like, you know, on top of that, and then, you know, pissing off the Fox people. And not knowing anything about modern wrestling, I mean, I'm not. Are you surprised? I'm not surprised. God, no. I mean, not, not at all. And that's why at the time too, I was just like completely like of all the people to hire, and 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 that's why I said it. You know, even even when we discussed it, that Heyman. Okay, I don't know if I 100 percent love the idea of Heyman. I would love to get some new voices in there, new stuff or whatever. But Paul Heyman, I, I get it. Like that's a guy that, that that you know has a proven track record of success. Like a guy who was who's had good ideas in the past, who's who's done you know good stuff in, in the past. Vince is, is familiar with him, and they've had their run-ins and they've had their their ups and downs or whatever. But at the end of the day, he knows that he's a guy who who is going to give everything to that job. And and that's one thing that we always love about Heyman. Heyman knows his shit. He knows the wrestlers. He knows the stories. He you know he will get up to speed. If he's not up to speed, he will get up to speed. If he if he's he's always looking for the next thing. We talk about that a lot with Gabe Sapolsky too. Like it's always about okay. This is what's going on now, and yeah, it's great. But like, what's next? What's the next thing? And and they're not always they don't they're not always hits. Like sometimes the next thing flops, and it's not good, and it didn't actually catch on or whatever. But the idea is that they're always looking for that. They're always trying to be ahead of the game and figure out what's going to happen, figure out how the the wrestling world's going to change and all that sort of stuff. So I had no issue with Heyman. Like Heyman, I knew once he got that job, even if he wasn't familiar, which we knew he was because he he was involved in the Ronda Rousey stuff. We were know he's involved in Brock Lesnar stuff. He was still attached to the company, knew the wrestlers, knew what was going on, knows what's going on in the wrestling world. Eric Bischoff doesn't. Eric Bischoff sits at a desk, you know, for two hours every week and rambles on about stuff in 1997 and gets mad at Dave Meltzer. And that's it. Like, that's what his wrestling world was at this point. So to hire him and assume that he would. And and, and again, like, we're kind of making fun of Eric Bischoff and all sort of stuff. But, like, it's not his fault that he got hired. If Vince McMahon called you or somebody in WWE said, hey, uh, Joe, do you want uh, do you want to make a, a million dollars to go sit in an office and, and, and fuck around? Like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll take it. Like, they shouldn't have never hired Eric Bischoff. Like, it's not all Eric Bischoff's fault. Like, he's an all-time fraud. <laughs> that's fine. But. You would, I would never have even thought of the name Eric Bischoff as a guy to bring in there, ever, because you know that this is a guy who, A, isn't familiar with the wrestling world going on around him, and B, the track record of success, I don't think it's anywhere near what Heyman's was, and people will get mad, and we'll have the Eric Bischoff defenders in our mentions, but, like, the guy struck gold with the NWO and then pissed it away in two years, and then the company was out of business four years later, so it's like, all right, cool, like, great job, awesome, but, like, I don't know, I'm not going to give you a ton of credit, you know, for, for for that, like, you know, striking gold with one angle, doing it to death, doing it to death, doing it to death, getting kind of lucky with Goldberg again on the way there, but then pissing away everything in the company, dying, you know, a few years later, like, th- there's just not a lot there, and that's the track record, is we have to go back to the last time the guy was even remotely successful was 1998, and this is the guy we're going to bring in, 
And and that's not even saying that he what he did in TNA too, which was absolute shit too. Like people just like to forget that he was in TNA for a bunch of years and didn't do fucking anything and take that too. Having him go on the road, doing all this other bullshit that just lost him tremendous amounts of money. And then he bounces off and goes, All right, see ya, I'm out. Bye. Like, thanks for the money. And, and that's it. So it's like, yeah, he was a terrible hire at the time. So while I am making fun of him, and I, I can't laugh at the fact he just turns his phone off and just says, ah, I'm good, thank you. He should have never been hired in the first place. I mean, he's a guy who was he's not gonna do that hard work. Do you really think Eric Bischoff's going to bog down and go, okay, I got to learn all the roster, learn what's going on in the wrestling world, you know, watch my tapes, watch NXT, go to the performance center, see what the next. No, he's not. We know right now he's, he's eating dinner and turning his phone off. Like, Yeah, it, it, it sounds like a controversial take on the surface when you say Paul Heyman has a better track record than Eric Bischoff, right? It probably immediately raised a lot of eyebrows with people listening because Eric Bischoff beat Vince McMahon for what was it, 18 months? How uh, long was, was it? Uh, it was 83 Fifth weeks, Joe. 83 weeks, in case you're not aware. Yeah, 83 weeks. So, what is that? Like, it's a year and a half or something. Yeah, yeah, basically. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so less, a little less than a year and a half. Wait, what's it? So, there's 52 weeks and then 20, no, a little more than a year and a half. It's only a year and a half. Okay, a year and a half, give or take a couple weeks. Um, So, it sounds like a controversial take, but it's like, you. what did he do? ever again after they then completely pissed it away you know the tna runs were a disaster and 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 obviously you know he helped run wcw out of business you know paul Heyman, what would he have done with those resources at, at that time right it's like how many people would say that paul Heyman wouldn't have done a hell of a lot better with with those resources that eric bischoff had at his disposal Heyman took and, I, and I'm going over this right now behind the paywall, you know, patreon.com slash voices of wrestling, November to remember a full, and complete retrospective of ECW history, every single show, every single match, uh, you know, a complete history of the company. And I'm starting to get to where almost to the point where Paul Heyman takes over for Eddie Gilbert, 1993. And he took over an, an East Coast independent. That's all it was at the time with TV on Sports Channel Philly. And, you know, four, three, four years later, he was beating Eric Bischoff on pay-per-view. They were beating WCW on pay-per-view. Uh, you know, ECW eventually had a national television contract. We all know how it ended, and we all know that Paul Heyman wasn't uh, known for being a tremendous uh, uh Businessman, he was right. more. Of I think a, that's the big difference. I mean, like Heyman wasn't the business side. Yeah, not you know. I don't want Heyman running my books. That's not good. But I, I, I love Heyman booking my my show. Right, but he had great ideas, and he, in a lot of ways, changed North American wrestling forever with his ideas. And while he may not look, I'm not even sure that Heyman's knock as being a bad businessman is fair. He just he didn't have he didn't have the resources. He was a tremendous – he could talk his way into deals and talk his way out of trouble, and he's the definition of a hustler, which is really what a businessman is. Um, you know, He just was working with no resources. So when you look at it from that perspective, I don't know if your comment is as controversial as it sounds on the surface. And then you know, Paul Heyman also oversaw a very successful era of SmackDown, you know, which – Overtook Raw both uh, critically and didn't for a time it overtake Raw in in the ratings as well. I believe well. so. Yeah, I believe I believe it did. Yeah. yeah, 
which is unheard of, you know, and, and, you know, and hasn't happened since until, um, you know, obviously now that they're on Fox, not for any sustained amount of time. So, yeah, I do think Heyman's track record is better. And let alone what people never talk about with Paul Heyman, you know, the short stints in Continental and everything else. And, um, you know, uh, other independent promotions that he that he booked uh, briefly before ECW and, and, and things of that nature. So, yeah, I don't it sounds controversial on the surface, but I I don't think you're wrong. I think he does have a better track record than, than Bischoff, even with Bischoff's, you know, 83 weeks, mm-hmm. which was completely pissed away because you're right. I mean, he had one idea. He Look, he signed Hulk Hogan. That wasn't exactly. You know, anyone could have done that. I mean, do, does he really get a ton of credit? Right. He hired Zane Breslov and Hulk Hogan and had Ted Turner's resources. Like, that's, you know, it's a pretty good head yeah. start. Paul, Paul Heyman had the Sandman and Tommy Dreamer and the Tasmaniac. Okay? That, that's what he was working with. And, and you know, it, it, this guy, he signed Hulk Hogan when Vince McMahon wanted to wash his hands of him. It, it's like, that doesn't take a genius you know, and, and, and he came up with the, the NWO idea from seeing other promotions and, you know, do something. So that's great. But it didn't last. It wasn't sustained. And and the other thing is he proved to be a very poor leader because, you know, he, he, he allowed the stars to walk all over him, mm-hmm. which was a huge problem. I also find it funny, too, that, that, that sometimes... Uh, particularly if you listen to Eric's podcast, like when the bad shit happens, it's like, oh, that was, you know, Kevin Sullivan. I didn't have anything to do with creative at that time. And then like when the good, oh, yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, I was in the, I was in the room for that one. Like we always forget about that too. Like we, we attribute everything that WCW did directly to Eric Bischoff. And, you know, he will say from his own words when he wants to that, oh, no, it was, you know, it was me and Kevin Sullivan and, you know, Jimmy Hart and a bunch of people were at the table when it was shit. But when it's good, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I had this idea and me and Hulk had this idea. So I always find yeah. that funny too that we give him 100%. Like, hey, man, yeah, like you know that that's it, and that's the thing too. When when you talk about this job, like you talk about a, a, a day and night, your entire life has to be this job. That's Paul Heyman. If you tell Paul Heyman this is what I need you to do, that's all he's going to do. He is in a, a maniac like that. We saw with ECW, day and night, he never slept. He did everything for that company. Did everything. He was cutting the tape in his basement, recording voiceover, like doing everything that he could every single day, nonstop. And we know that's in his personality. Eh, is that Eric Bischoff's personality? No, it really wasn't. But I do always find that funny that, like, yeah, like, we just attribute everything that WCW did to, you know, in that period, just directly to Eric Bischoff. And he'll tell you flat out that, oh, you know, I didn't have anything to do with creative unless it's, you know, a good idea. And then, yeah, then, yeah, that was all him. All yeah, him for sure. Yeah. yeah, but, um, but yeah, this was inevitable. I, it, not only did we believe he would bring nothing to the table, it then played out that way. He brought nothing to the table. So, um, yeah, and and you know the the talk was that Bruce Pritchard was really running SmackDown anyway, so in essence, nothing is really going to change, you know, ex- other than Bruce Pritchard has the title, and I don't know, I am, I'm not any more confident in Bruce Pritchard than I was Eric Bischoff, to be completely God, honest. No. Yeah, no, um, no way. I, I I've never been a Bruce Pritchard guy. I ever. Uh, you know, even when he was rehired and a lot of people were excited about it, I, I couldn't understand why. Um, I think it brings, you know, he's 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 barely a step off from Bischoff to me. His ideas are outdated. He's a con man. Um, you know, he's a con man on his podcast. His, his uh, you know, it, it's, I, I just read a bit that said uh, when he was with MLW um, briefly and then, and then, and then left and then, um, 
the people who run MLW said that uh, Jim Cornette is far more in tune with modern wrestling and understands modern wrestling than Bruce Pritchard. God, if you were, <laughs> is that yeah. a damn God? That's a, that's a real thing. Ugh. And it's like, that's not good. <laughs> if you're trailing Jim Cornette on what's going on in modern wrestling, that is like, that's such, that's, it is a damning statement. So, uh, I don't know. I, I don't, other than being in the room while other successful people succeeded in wrestling, what has Bruce Pritchard ever done? I, I, I don't understand the fascination with Bruce Pritchard. Um, I think the best thing Bruce Pritchard has ever done is successfully conned people to listen to his podcast while he tells a bevy of lies and makes money off of you know throwing Dave Meltzer under the bus. That's what that show is. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's a, it's a step up from Bischoff. It definitely doesn't inspire confidence. Uh, maybe Bruce Pritchard can put together some interesting promo packages and stuff. That seems to be a specialty. I don't know. The company has much bigger problems than that though. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So that's, uh, that's that. So, uh, Eric Bischoff, uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing. (laughs) Can, Can Bruce Pritchard create stars? That's all, you know, that's the thing. I see. I think Paul Heyman has the ability to create stars. I do. I've seen Paul Heyman. Create yeah, he's done stars. it. He's done it many times. There's a track record there. Can he do it under this system with, you know, the shadow of Vince McMahon hovering over him? I don't know. I don't know if anyone can. But I know that Paul Heyman has a track record. And the, the biggest problem in this company is creating stars. Where's Bruce Pritchard's track record in creating stars? I'm open to it if I'm missing something. I mean, but but I know that Paul Heyman has Paul Heyman has taken you know, literal fucking piles of shit and and made money with them and turned them into stars and given them careers. So I, I mean, I shouldn't say I shouldn't call a human being a literal pile of shit, but I mean, you look at something like the Tasmaniac, and that was a literal pile of a shit gimmick. You look at you know. Um, Johnny Grunge before the public enemy and and you know he's just a shitty East Coast indie guy. Well, I mean the guy the, the Sandman is the all-timer right there. Yeah, never a good wrestler. Know, the guy stunk. He was never a good wrestler and it didn't matter. He's the, the biggest the, star in the fucking world. The, the Sandman who was doing a surfer gimmick at the same time that Sunny Beach and Surfer Ray Odyssey and all these guys were doing surfer gimmicks and none of them went anywhere but you know it, it's it, the guy had charisma and Heyman found it and he, and he channeled it and you know it, it's I've, I've seen him do it and we talked about the Smackdown 6 and getting the most out of those guys to the point where it surpassed Raw for a while and uh, so yeah that's why I'm a little more confident in him. Now Heyman has a ton of horrible ideas too sure. over the years and and you know it's but but you know he was always seemed to be ahead of the curve and um, and, and look we saw Paul Heyman running a brand in this company before when he couldn't overcome the shadow of it, uh, the, 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 the looming presence of Vince McMahon with the ECW thing. And that was a total fucking train wreck. But I think at this point in Vince's life and career, he's going to give Paul Heyman a little bit more rope to do things in his own way. And I think both of them are older and both of them have, have, uh, you know, some, some years of reflection and, 
And, and, and Vince understands too, that he's got to run a football league and he's got three shows on cable television per week. And it's not the same company it was in 2008. And maybe he does understand the need to delegate a little. And maybe he does understand that SmackDown on Fox and the XFL are the priorities. Sure. Oh, and, and I was going to bring that up, too. I think more now we're seeing in the last few weeks, and, and, and that's what should be the case, too, is that Raw, and, and even after the draft, you're kind of seeing it as well. Raw is, is definitely behind SmackDown right now, as it should be. SmackDown should be the number one priority right now, it, on, it being on Fox, it being the bigger television deal. So with that being said, you can you can envision a scenario where Paul Heyman, like you said, has a little bit more rope on Raw. Like, yeah, I still want to see everything. Yeah, I want to do everything, but but I have some confidence in you to kind of do some of your own stuff and, and whatever. Like, yeah, I'm still going to have the over, you know, I'll still sign off on everything and, and I'll still have, you know, input or whatever. But when you sign someone like a Bruce Pritchard or you assign someone like a Bruce Pritchard to, you know, become the SmackDown, like that is essentially just an arm of Vince McMahon. That is Vince needing somebody yeah. in the room that he can say, Bruce, change that. And Bruce goes, okay, sir. <laughs> you know, versus Paul where, well, let's have a discussion. <laughs> like, you know, because because Vince probably got no time for the fucking Paul Heyman. Like, well, okay, but what if we, and it's like, all right, whatever, dude. Like, sure. Like, or, it's, or, or with Bruce, it's someone coming up with ideas that he thinks Vince will like. Sure, right. Not coming up with ideas that he thinks will, you see, that's the thing. That's always been the reputation. So yeah, you got to pop one guy at the table, and that's Vince McMahon, and that's how the idea gets through. It doesn't matter if anybody else in the world cares; that guy has to care at the table. So guys, come to the table with ideas if they don't want to get just because we always hear that about creative guys, and oh yeah, well if you if you have so many smart ideas, well why didn't you do that in creative? And it's like guys say that like you know you can sit there and bring up your ideas and get told how stupid you are all the time, or eventually you just say ah you know what let me come up with this idea because he's probably gonna like it, and then he likes it, and and you know any normal human being would 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 be more attracted to that. You know, versus being told how stupid and terrible you are and then get fired. Eventually, Rich. you're just going to say, well, you know what? <laughs> what the boss wants, the boss gets. All right, here's the story. And then, oh, yeah, that's good. That's good shit. Yeah. I, Rich, I'd get, I would get fired in two weeks. Oh, I don't think you'd last. I would weeks. be fired from that job. Weeks. Are you kidding? Two weeks? Two minutes? Two hours? I, I, I would, I, I, you know, I tweeted something like this last week, but it's like, I would ask Vince McMahon why he thinks something like Shorty Gable is going to work and get someone over. And I would, pers- I would continue to ask him that until I either got a sufficient answer or he fired me or both. Cause I can't. Uh, and that's just one example of the completely asinine things that they do. And I would, I would, I would want to know how this man thinks and why he thinks these are good ideas. I would last no more than two weeks. I would be so annoying to this man. I, I, I cause it's like, I need to know the thought process behind something like a shorty Gable, for instance, or, you know, it's like, or, and, and I would need to know why, you know, when the guy finally beats Baron Corbin, Baron Corbin has to beat him up in the hallway after them. Like I would need answers. Yeah, for challenge those things. It, challenge How is idea. this helping yeah. us? Right. What, what's the plan? Yeah, here? What's and that the would result? Never fly. You know, what's the goal? Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. No, you're, 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 you got 20 minutes out there. <laughs> you're gone. That first question you bring up, I think you're gone. I don't think you do that when you're at the table. So, and I would explain why that's stupid, and he'd fire me, and that would be the end of it. Um, but yeah, but that's that's you know, but he has shown with NXT that at least with that he's willing to stay hands off, right? So maybe he's evolving or just getting older or having his attention spread around, and maybe he will stay hands off raw when XFL gets rolled. We don't know, but I'm I'm way more confident with Paul Heyman running a brand with Vince being handoff than I am anybody else that they have in that, in that building. 
Um, and I think that he's going to micromanage SmackDown because it's more important. And that they're already under $3 million. Rich, what did we say two weeks ago when we predicted? Yeah, if they opened up if they opened up under $4 million, it was going to be, uh, you know what I mean? That's what we said. We, we said on this show, if it's not at least $4 million, it's it's a it's a very shaky opening week. They opened under four million with The Rock and Tyson Fury and Kane Velasquez and and all the hype that Fox put behind it, and that was not a good sign. And then week two, they lose a million viewers, and they're already under three million, and they are rapidly approaching the numbers they were doing on USA. Why? Because the show fucking. St- Stinks, Rich. It stinks. How much of this SmackDown have you watched on I've Fox? I've watched it a, a little bit. Yeah, not more than I, I had it on the DVR. So I was like, ah, screw it. I'll watch it. I've done a lot of fast forwarding, and I, I've deleted the recording now. I'll, I'll watch the YouTube clips. I think there's nothing for me. It's just not week a show one, for me anymore. So week one was bad, but at least it had some star power and some juice. Yeah, there was energy to it. You could tell you the palpable energy of we're on a new network. New things are happening. New people are showing up. Yeah, there was a lot, and then. But, but the bottom line is all of these sports fans and and all of these people who saw the millions of promos that Fox did and then who, who checked it out, they laughed at it, and they're never going to watch again. They had a laugh that night. They laughed at The Fiend. They laughed at fucking, you know, whatever the fuck, Tyson Fury shoving with Braun Strowman. They laughed at the promos. They had a good, you know, they mocked it, and they did not come back the next week. And they are already basically dealing with their core audience already in week two. Under three million already. That is stunning to me. With all of that muscle that Fox put behind it in promotion, but it's because the show fucking stinks. That draft show was so bad. Oh, the draft. So, <laughs> Do we oh have to talk about the draft? God, it was so bad. It was embarrassingly bad bad you have stephanie mcmahon up there just saying names how is that compelling in any way shape or form why was any was anyone watching genuinely giving a shit which brand anyone ended up on why would you care why would anyone care so there's no drama you know they didn't they failed to create any drama they have the fake actors in the room reacting to the draft (laughs) draft So cringe. Oh, my God. The draft room. My favorite. Uh, the, the, the gift made the rounds, too, where, like, you know, they, they lock it in. They lock in a pick. They all stand up and cheer. And it's like, Natalia has been drafted to Raw. And I'm yeah. Like, and then they show like, SmackDown. And they're like, no, we wanted Natalia. And Alexa also, Bliss. This is not and, how drafts yeah. work. Like, I, this, no, this draft I, made no sense. Like, I had somebody at work. So, so I had a guy at work who, who he's a very, very casual wrestling fan. But he said, oh, my, you know, I, I, I don't have cable anymore, so I'm going to watch SmackDown this week. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Like, yeah, yeah I'm glad they're on Fox now. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Uh, so he, he, he comes back uh, on Monday and says, well, <laughs> WWE gained a fan on Friday and then lost one on Friday, too, because my wife said, you are never allowed to put that on ever again on a Friday night for me. No, what normal person <laughs> So she said it made no sense. She's, she said in her, in her look, so this is a, the wife of a guy who's a casual wrestling fan, sat down. And said, yeah. it doesn't make any, like, why wouldn't, she kept asking, is that guy a big star? And he's like, no, nah, not really. She's like, well, is, is she a big star? And he's like, no, not really. She's like, well, why are, why are the not big stars getting drafted before the big stars? 
And he was like, <laughs> and he said, I had to turn it off because I was sick of answering or trying to answer her questions and just saying, I don't know, honey. I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to get, because that happens at my household too. Michelle will be like, oh, why is that happening? I'm like, I don't know. Don't make me defend it. So this, this, this woman is like, well, why is Seth Rollins not being picked? Why is this guy not being picked? Why, why is she being picked instead of this guy? And he's like, I, I, I know. I don't know. I don't know. It's um and and your little anecdote there. That's a million other people who are right. never coming back again. Why would a normal person ever watch that show again after seeing the Fiend? Why would you watch that again? It's the Fiend is playing out exactly how I said it would. People were going to laugh at it and never fucking pay attention to it again. The only people who like the Fiend are people who already are diehard WWE fans. That's not going to grow. That's not going to be a, a, a game-changing act. It's too silly. It's ridiculous. I couldn't... Oh God, those two Fox shows were atrocious, and that's why the rating, the, the viewership is where it's at. And they're going to be fine because they're, they're crushing it in the demo, like everybody knew that they would. But, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it's got to be underperforming to what Fox thought they were getting. I mean... You know, I didn't think it was unreasonable to expect it to come out of the gate, maybe five million. And when they came in under four with all that promotional muscle and the rock, they were in big trouble. And because the show is atrocious and awful and bad and unwatchable by any normal human being, they're doing two point six million already or whatever. What was it? Two point six million or two point. Uh, yeah, let me get the exact number here. I want to make sure that we're right here. So people uh, don't get upset. But uh, not that anybody would get upset about this. You know, we talk But as under three million is the point. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which, you know, and you asked me so. like, hey, what, 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 you know, what's a disaster? What's just OK? And, and you and I both thought like this, what they're at right now is like just OK. It's not an unmitigated disaster. It's not in. Oh, my God. Well, freak it, out. It, but, it would have been a disaster to open under three. Million. Sure. They, oh, they absolutely. Were yeah, yeah. They were they were between three and four, which we said was going to be very shaky ground because you knew they were going to lose a lot because we know the show is horrible. Yeah. So right, right, right. you have to expect that they're going to lose a ton of people after that. But yeah, it was under three. I forget what the exact number was, but they did a uh, they crushed the demo again. So I mean, Fox will be happy from that perspective. But um, they had to be expecting more than. I mean, it's going to settle at like two point six, two point five million a week. That's where it's going to settle, and. That's barely higher than what they were doing on USA, and that cannot possibly be what Fox was expecting. No, not for a billion dollars. There's no way. I mean, yeah, the, the winning the demo is good, and you can all kind of give high fives about that. But yeah, it, it is. This is, and, and people always bring up, and, and this comes up with a lot of discussions that we have with, with you know wrestling ratings. Well, people bring up like you know random show X. Well, you know they were doing this on on that night or whatever, and it's like yeah, but to show the reruns of a syndicated show or whatever is a lot less money than a billion dollars. You know what I mean? Like to, to even like whatever random property you think, like they paid a lot of money for WWE. That's the thing is like, you can't just out and out say, well, all oh, the ratings are better than it was with X. Cause it's like, well, yeah, of course the ratings are going to be better for a company that cost a billion dollars. But like the, the, the return on investment, is bad there, and and that's the well, biggest. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily that they're beating yeah. whatever was in the Fox, you know, a still standing rerun or whatever that was in that spot before or whatever. Yeah, sure, of course it's easy to beat that if you're you know a, a big time you know sports property like WWE is, but like you're paying a lot of money for that big time sports property, and you want that to deliver more than just like hey, we're beating still standing reruns. Yeah, uh, still standing left the air like ten years ago, Rich. But it's your on point syndication. Stand- it's on syndication. I don't know any modern shows. What was on Fox on Fridays? I don't fucking know. Oh, well, I'll tell you what was on. It was Last Man Standing last year in the in the uh, time slot, and Last Man Standing would routinely do six million viewers a week. 
the problem was they were all over 50 and they weren't doing anything in the demo. Was I thinking of Last Man Standing when I said, what's still standing? Oh, still, still standing, standing was the show. Like, yeah, no, never. That was like the fa- like kind of like a rip off King of yeah, Queens style one. Yes, which yes. We've had like this discussion before. We've had this discussion before because we talked about Jamie Gertz. I meant last Jamie standing Gertz. before. Yeah, that is. I, I that's the one I meant. Not still standing. So. There's your confusion. The word standing threw you off because uh, they're sitting there going still standing. I'm like Rich. That was on in like 2000. <laughs> oh no, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> Hopefully, Fox has better um, programming that's still standing. It. Uh, yeah, but I mean, they had last man last year. They had last man standing and uh, the the cool kids, which again was a show with four stars over the age of seventy, and you know would do four million viewers, but it would do a point one in the demo. So you could see why Fox. And the other thing with SmackDown is it'll be fifty two weeks a year. There's no rerun season, so they're gonna get that demo number and they're gonna get those two point five million viewers for fifty two weeks. And they're on for two hours a night. So you get two hours a week for 52 weeks. So you do the math with the billion dollars then. And, you know, when you do the math per hour, it actually does come out cheaper than some of these other shows. And that's kind of the spin that people will put on it. But regardless of all of that, there's no way there's no way anyone in the room at Fox is happy with doing under three million viewers week two. Um, It's just I don't think anyone. I'm not sure even I expected that. I mean, I thought it would eventually settle down there, but I didn't think we'd be here already. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, you know, we're, we're, you know, in the fall right now. And obviously the, the winter, we'll see how the ratings kind of uh, ebb and flow there. But we know goddamn well that, that come summertime, that's going to drop a lot. Summers, you know. In, in... If, if you're a, if well, listen, if you're a regular human being who watched that SmackDown last week with the draft, you're never watching again unless they bring the rock back again. Why would you ever watch that show again if you're a normal person, unlike us, who are going to watch it? Regard, you know what I mean? Like wrestling fans aren't going to watch SmackDown anymore. Normal people aren't. They're not capturing any casuals. They're not capturing any non-fans. Um, they're already down to the hardcore WWE base. Week two. That's yeah. They wiped out. They wiped out all the kind of casual. Hmm. What's going on here? Ooh, SmackDown on Fox. Like those people are already kind of siphoning off, like you said. People turn that on, and they said, yep, wrestling is still incredibly stupid, and I'm never watching it again. That's what happened the last two weeks. So, well, anyone who dared come back week two and was ex- and was exposed to that awful draft. <laughs> and and, and Bruce, Bruce Mitchell made a good point on Twitter. He's like, can you imagine a non-fan just watching because, you know, they saw a promo on an NFL game? Could you imagine a non-fan watching this draft episode and trying to make any sense of it? Right. It's like and when you look at it through those eyes. Oh, how could you? Yeah. Yeah. When my buddy was, you know, because I kind of like I think of I I don't think of wrestling like a normal person does. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I'm always I know that like nothing makes sense and they just do stuff to do stuff. But like, yeah, when my buddy, you know, cornered me in the office on Monday and was like, what the hell was going on with that draft? Like, why was this guy in this side? And I was like, the order didn't make any sense. And who was getting drafted made no sense. And he he was going through every different example. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. Like, I don't think about it like that because I just, you know, just kind of assume that it's going to make no sense. And that's just how it's going to be. But like, yeah, his eye. He was just like to make any sense. Like they weren't they weren't drafting like the best guys. They were just drafting random people on the roster. And I'm like, yeah, you're you're, you're not wrong. Like I, I know. It was, it was, yeah, it was it was Stephanie standing at a podium saying everybody's nicknames. I mean, it was Stephanie standing at the podium going, with making her dumb faces. Why does she make such dumb faces? It was Stephanie at the podium making a dumb face, going, "The monster among men." Braun Strowman, and then the fans tepidly clapping. 
And that's what it was for two hours. And then three more hours on Monday. The goddess Alexa Bliss. And then she does that dumb smile and looks yeah. around with her eye. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are we watching? I Why are we nicknames. watching Stephanie McMahon? Oh, the nicknames. Three names. Growl name. Why does everybody growl the names in that company? From the ring announcers to Stephanie McMahon, they all growl, Rich. Why do they growl? I don't know. I Man, the, NXT, the NXT ring announcer is like an all-time growler. Like She's going to go up to that main roster right away once they somebody gets their ears on her and goes, perfect. Because she well, goes... It's, I'm telling you, they're te- they're teaching people to. They have growl. to. Oh no! Yeah, I mean, she's uh, she doesn't normally talk like that. There's no way like that. That has to have happened. Yeah, Morrow does it all the time too on NXT. He growls when he talks now, but she's like she's yeah. an all timer. Like she's ready for the main roster whenever they're ready to bring her up. Yeah, it's 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 uh Oni Lark. <laughs> it's like okay. Yeah. And just the dopey nicknames for everyone that Stephanie is repeating. Yeah. Like, it's just, that's not a draft. That's just a person reading names. I, I, it, it was, it, none of it is, is entertaining and none of it would make sense to anyone who didn't know what was going on. Uh, you know what people understand who aren't wrestling fans? That guy doesn't like that guy and they're going to have a fight and one of them's going to win. That's something everyone can understand. But, you know, they, they think they got to reinvent the wheel and it's it's just bad. And the and the and the results reflect how bad it is. And, you know, the worst part, Rich, you know, the saddest part. They've got five years where they can just be bad. It doesn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. They make more money than ever. Yeah, they'll make more money than they ever have. So, yeah, they've got five years to figure it out. And, and, and they can be as atrocious as they are today for five more years and it does not make a fucking difference because they got so lucky that the, that television was in the state it was in when their contract came up. I, he's this Vince McMahon is just the luckiest fuck. He must've, he must've dived in a pile of shit when he was like 25 years old. Forget stepping in shit. It's incredible how lucky this man has been his entire career. It's, 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 it's insane. You know, if, if they didn't have these, enormously advantageous television deals that they lucked into that they totally, and you can't convince me that they didn't luck into them with the, with how the shows were performing and they were performing the way they were now when they were really under the gut, they'd be in so much trouble, but they lucked out. It was all timing. So much of life is just timing. Anyway, that's Eric Bischoff, I guess. There it is. Yeah. Eric Bischoff and uh, WWE, but uh, let's, let's quickly though, as we're, we're kind of talking about American wrestling before we get into uh, some stuff with Japan, uh, AEW and NXT this week. Uh, we've been making a habit of kind of talking about uh, the ratings and the shows uh, themselves a little bit. Uh, first off, we'll talk about the ratings uh, a bit. We won't get too into it here and too because we don't want to do it every single week, break them down uh, a ton. But yeah, I, interesting numbers across the board for both. Uh, AEW Dynamite averaged uh, one point one one million uh, fourteen thousand viewers last night, nearly identical to last Wednesday's uh, average on TNT, but it was down four percent on the eighteen to forty nine demo with a point four four rating. Um, and NXT averaged 712,000 viewers last night, uh, down 10% from the previous week. The rating in the 18 to 49 demo was 0.20, down 9% from last Wednesday. So, w- what do you take from that? So, obviously, AEW is, is continuing to lose viewers. I mean, obviously, they, they peaked at 1.4 uh, the opening week. Uh, they were down to 1,018,000 uh, last week, and now they're down to 1,014,000 uh, this week. Uh, the demo numbers, the 18 to 49, they were at 0.68 uh, one, uh, first week, down to 0.46 week two, and now don't, down to 0.44 
week three. So what do you make of that before we touch on the uh, NXT stuff? Hey, listen, they, they dropped more than what you're saying between week two and week three because I count the simulcast. You have to count the simulcast. Right, right, right. They did 1.14 million last week because to me, you have yeah, to this count was without the true numbers. Yeah, if you don't want to count the true, yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of difference there. See, I don't like people not counting the true numbers though. That's bullshit because that was live viewers watching the show, and and they advertised that they'd be on. And a lot of people watch true because they didn't want to fuck around with any of the baseball. Right, like you can't you can't assume that somebody had a TV with both on. Or, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's kind of weird that way. So yeah, yeah, yeah you do no, have to count no. it. Yeah, 1.14 million last week. So they dropped more than that because they're down to 1.014 million this week. Look, next week they're going to be below a million because they're going up against the world series they're going up against the uh, uh, nba opening yeah season. opening night of nba boston philly that's not gonna be good <laughs> going no, against, they, so. they will be under a million and i would not be stunned if they're in the 800 thousands i i i you know so and and nxt is gonna drop below 700 thousand and i would not be stunned with a number like 590 yeah i, was I mean say, I, are, I think under 600 thousand is, is is very realistic it's a possibility for, yeah because yeah, people don't realize like go look at if you look at the actual demo numbers and the ratings and all that sort of stuff a pregame show for an NBA preseason game beat NXT in the demo. For the pregame yeah. show of a pregame of a preseason game beat pre-season. NXT. Yeah. The game. So this is not just a both of them. The game this beat is, both of them. A preseason game between the yeah, Atlanta the Hawks and I don't even remember who the other team was. It was one of the teams was the Atlanta Hawks. That's all you need to know. No, 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 no. Um, um, AW beat the Hawks game. They lost the. the Warriors game that came on later. Oh, that's right. Okay, all right, all right. But so yeah, yeah. But they did lose the one preseason game. They lost the Warriors game. They beat the Hawks game that they were head to head with. But both preseason NBA games destroyed NXT. Yes. And and next week you have a World Series game which might involve the Yankees, which is going to be you know a key, and a huge NBA opener with Boston and Philly, which are two huge sports markets. Listen. AW is going to fall under a million and they might be in the 800,000s. And and to me, next week is an anomaly that you have to throw out because it's incredibly stiff sports competition. This week there was no sports competition, meaningful sport. It was just a NBA preseason, okay? Um th- to me, the key is week 5. How much of that audience does AEW get back? That's what I'm concerned with. I don't really care. I know they're getting slaughtered next week. They're both getting killed next week. And NXT is so far behind. It's it's whatever. My what I'm looking out for is how much of how many of those people who go away next week to watch either the baseball or the basketball, right? How many of those people then since the habit is broken do not watch AEW the next week? I'm curious how many they get back. And that's what I think they should be concerned with. Let's say they dip to like 890,000, right? Can they get back to a million the following week? There's going to be NBA games every every Wednesday now on ESPN, correct? Uh, not all. Well, yeah, yes. Yeah, ESPN will always carry. Yeah, sorry. There were some people that were assuming that Tuesdays on TNT was always a thing for, for the NBA, and it's not. Sometimes those games are on uh, NBA TV. But Wednesdays on ESPN, yeah, starting next week until <laughs> the end of the year. It is, yeah, it is, it is NBA games on ESPN on Wednesdays. So that's, that's going to be and, tough. And very few of them are going to do the number that Philly and Boston are going to do on. That's opening night, correct? Uh, Boston Philly is opening night. Yeah, I forget the other game on opening night. I, I think that's the marquee oh. one is Boston Philly. I forget the other one. And that's, uh, but. that's the head to head one. Uh, correct. That's what they're yeah, 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 exactly. Which is. So that's going to do a monster number. And look, all the NBA games aren't going to do the number that that game is going to do, but they are going to be going against NBA now for the foreseeable future. And um, 
but but this week is just going to be this is what I'm calling I called week one the bloodbath. This is the bloodbath two, and it's going to be a bloodbath for AEW and for NXT. They're going to get destroyed both of them next week. And to me, it's how much can both recover? Do they both get their entire audience back the next week, or do they you know those viewers that go away they just a, a good chunk of them stay away because it's like ah. Eh, I didn't watch last week. I'm not going to watch. You know what I mean? And then you just fall off. It, it, you want to form habit viewers. And it's a tricky spot when you have such stiff competition like you do coming up this week. It's going to get ugly. If AEW were to somehow manage to stay over a million against these two, that is would be a fucking miracle. You know, I, I even think like 950 would be a miracle. So I think it's going to get ugly. And I think the week after is the one that's going to tell the better story than next week. All right, and then the NXT numbers, as we said, uh, totals, demo, 30th of the night in the demo. Uh, overall numbers, not good. I mean, this NXT thing is, <laughs> it's, yeah, there's there's really well, no way to spin no this. Spin like, it, it's bad. It, it, they're siphoning viewers at an it's, insanely quick rate, and it's not going to get any better. So, 10% more this week, and I really believe they're approaching their floor. I don't think it's going to get much lower than this. I don't think it can. I think there's a hardcore base of WWE fans that are just going to consume whatever WWE produces. And I think we're approaching that number. Um, I, I, I think that, uh, but 30th in the demo, I mean, second to eighth to 10th to 27th to, to 30th, I think is the trend. Um, that's just fucking disastrous. The, WWE is not used to being 30th in the demo. They live in the top five. That's where they live. Right. You know, they drop out of the top five. It's big news. And people mock them. This show's 30th in the demo, and it's getting crushed head to head by another wrestling show. So it's like, and 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 what they're doing now is never going to reverse that. It's not. The show they're producing now is never reversing that. It's got no juice. Um, in comparison to AEW, it 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 looks minor league and feels minor league, no matter how good the matches are. And listen, the matches are not any better. People are so overblowing that. Oh, well, the matches on NXT are so much. No, they're not. This week, AEW's matches were much better than NXT's matches. Well, let's talk about I mean, that. I think that might be a good opportunity. Are you, are you done with ratings talk? I'm, I'm fine getting into yeah, the matches yeah, a little fine. bit, too. Yeah, like, actually, we've been... if, people want, if people want more ratings talk, patreon.com slash Voices Wrestling, Thursday TV reviews. I get super deep every week. I wait for the ratings to come out, and then I do the show, and I talk about ratings first. And uh, and and then we review both shows as well. But yeah, we can get off of the ratings. Yeah, let's do that. So we're gonna talk about the matches here a little bit. We do want to let you guys know that this uh, this portion of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast uh, sponsored by our friends at Grapple, the Grapple app. You can download it for free, uh, App Store, Google Play. You can also follow them on Twitter at Grapple App. That's G R A. PPL. We'll talk about it a little bit later in the show as well, but you can go on there, uh, rate and review matches. So we're actually going to talk about some of the ratings here because I think it's an interesting discussion that, that you bring up there, and it's, it's a great segue into that, is the difference between, you know, yes, like we're hearing that NXT is is, you know, a pure wrestling show with great wrestling matches, and AEW is more of kind of, it's got a bunch of other stuff, but yeah, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm sort of with you as well, so I, I think the, the big thing here is, is let's talk about the big matches on NXT this week, we'll start there, so the first one, of course, that people are going to talk about and point to uh, this week was, was the Dijakovic versus Keith Lee, the, the fourth match, the rubber match show of, of this great feud uh, between these two, and, you know, I came away enjoying the match. I've never been a gigantic, huge, like, some people love this series. Like, you know, Dave Meltzer went five stars or whatever with the first match they ever had. I saw one live uh, at an Evolve show, and, and they're good matches. I enjoy them. I don't love them on the same level that a lot of other people do, but I've enjoyed them. Uh, hey, 
this is good because I'm one of those people. I think their first three matches in this series were fantastic. So you're talking the one. So that's okay, good. So there you go. So so you're there. Like I've always thought they were good, but I don't know if they're spectacular or great. Like I don't know if they're like these game changing, oh my God, worldwide thing. So for me when when you know this match is being announced and the build's kind of happening, I'm not as excited about it because I just like I don't really know they didn't really give me an, a reason to get excited about it. They just kind of said, hey, here's two guys and and they have good matches in the past and they'll probably have a good match here. And that's kind of the build for this match is hey watch these guys have really good matches. And while I enjoyed this match, I thought it really underwhelmed compared to some of the other stuff that they've had. And I have not, I've seen kind of opposite takes. I've seen a lot of takes all across the board here. I'm curious, Joe, what is your take on, on Dijakovic versus Keith Lee? Because I've seen stuff all across the board, and I'll talk about the grapple rating here in a moment as well. As someone who loved the series that they've had in NXT to the point where I have said that they should take the exact matches they've done in NXT and open up a Raw with them. Okay, that's how much I love the matches. Um, and how much I think those matches could get over with, uh, you know, the raw, the, the, the main roster crowd and you can make a couple stars. Um, this was easily the worst. This was not good. Um, they, they made it for the number one contendership of the North American title. And I was like, great. They're giving this some stakes. I already love the other matches. It's going to be fantastic. Right. Then they slowed it down, which I understand. They're working a different kind of match. Yeah, than a little they bit more work. of a body match than a uh, let's see two big dudes do huge moves on each other. So, and, yeah, and I don't. And I don't mind that they changed it up. No. You know, they did the same match three times in a row. And they went one, one, and one. And this was also advertised as the rubber match to break the tie. So we have some stakes. We have double stakes. We got a rubber match. Someone's going to win the feud. And someone's going to be the number one contender to Roderick Strong. And then just as the match starts to get going, they do the fucking run-in with Roderick Strong. Rich, this infuriated me. And I already went on a rant behind the paywall. I don't know if I have it in me to go on another rant two hours later because I just finished that show. But it's like it, it, infuri- it infuriated me. They didn't have the guts to just have somebody win the match, win the feud. And this is the inherent problem in the company. And now it's trickling all the way down to NXT. Right. They're always trying to get everybody over and they're getting nobody over. So Exactly. It, it just pick someone and fucking push them. The other guy will be fine. He could, he'll get over in the next feud. Ha- show some guts and pick someone to win the damn match to face Roderick Strong next week. What is the problem here? We have to do this bullshit? And then, and then it makes me not care, and it makes nobody get over. And someone pointed this out on Twitter, and I don't remember who it was, but Rich, you know this ends with a Lee Dijak tag team. Oh, God, are you fucking I, kidding? Of course. Yeah, it's our former enemies now become the best of partners. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the company is littered with those. Guys, oh, you know, God, we saw it on that same show with Orny Lorcan and uh, and 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 Virgil. So it's like they've done that before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they they they've done that on NXT. So it's not like that's just the main roster thing. They've done it on NXT numerous times. So yeah, of course that's good. Cesaro happen. and Sheamus. Right. Cesaro and Sheamus. You know, and it's like so. You know, it, it it infuriated me that I was I was invested in this feud, and I loved the matches, and I wanted to see a winner, and they didn't give. It. So that was a that to me. That was bad and 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 a failure. That was that would that that did nothing but piss me off, and it made me not care about the three. I don't care about the three way next week. It's just overbooked with shit now, and that and NXT used to be good to not give you the overbid, just give you winners. I don't want that. I can get shit like that on Raw. That's why I don't watch Raw, Rich. Stuff like that. So no, that was not good. Um. Uh, so ratings wise, it's pretty interesting here on Grapple. Uh, your Really, n- neither of us are kind of off the board there. 3.4 right now for, for Dijakovic uh, and Lee, which I think has is, is got to be a disappointing uh, number overall because, yeah, this is a match that was kind of 
advertised as like, hey, these guys are going to have a great match. Like that was the whole kind of point of it was was these guys are going to have a great match. Uh, didn't quite deliver on that level. And as far as the other stuff in NXT, you know, as we kind of just kind of go over grapple in, in overall sense, like you're saying, we're kind of comparing the two shows and and and, and, and what we thought the matches were and what the quality of the two shows were. Uh, Angel Garza and Champa, uh, two point four two, but that was you know kind of just an extended squash. So like I don't really expect that one. Well, here's the thing: there were five extended squashes on this show. This was not a great bell to bell show for NXT this week. It wasn't. That was yeah. one of five. Right. There was there was quite a lot here. Then we had the Birch and Lorkin uh, versus Imperium, which I actually liked a lot. I liked this match uh, uh, quite a bit. And I think I actually maybe even liked it a little bit more than I liked uh, Dijakovic and Lee. But what do you think of uh, uh, the uh, Birch, Lorkin, and, and and Imperium? Yeah. The problem was these are two of my favorite tag teams in the world right now, and this year these are great tag teams. But the commercial break destroyed the match. It did. It hurt it a the, lot. It was there yeah. was an. There was an interminably long commercial break, and then when we came back, they were hitting the closing stretch. So the the commercial break destroyed the flow of the match. I can't even. I wouldn't even be able to rate this match. I feel like I missed too much of it. Right, and and this is but, always well, a tough time, sort of trying to rate these sort of matches, and 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 even like because we've heard people be like, you know, and this match I don't think had it, but some matches, you know, with they had the picture in picture, like I, I honestly can't really get into a match during the picture in picture portion. Like I know that like I probably should, and I should be able to just say, hey, you know what, whatever, it's going on on that screen, who cares? But it takes me out of it, like. In the middle of the match, we pan out. I'm listening to a commercial. I got to kind of squint to see it on the other side. Like, I can't properly rate a match that's in picture in picture. I just can't. Like, I, it feels bad. Like, I wish I could. But it's just like, I, I don't feel like I'm getting a feel for that match. I don't understand. I don't get, like, what the crowd's reacting to. I don't get what the wrestlers are kind of doing. Like, I know you can do a bunch of moves and, and, and things can happen in that picture in picture. But if you're if you're not hearing and feeling the flow, it's just, I don't know. It just doesn't strike me as as as, as you know, it's not the same. It just isn't. This didn't even have the picture in picture. That's what I'm saying. Like in this one in particular, you're like, well, I don't fucking know what's happening. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, so that killed the match for me, but it, it looked like it may have been the best match on the show if we would have seen the whole thing. Yeah, to me, to me, it was the best match, and uh, uh, Grapple users do not agree. They have it at 3.26 right now, but it's not too far off uh, from, from Dijakovic and Lee, which is interesting because Dijakovic and Lee was like given that special billing as being this sort of match, and, and I don't know if it – Quite delivered on that uh, level here. Uh, Io Shirai and, and, and Caden Carter, that was a 2.32 uh, for Grapple yeah, Users. Again, the, another just, just kind of Io match. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So not, not much there. Uh, Bronson Lee and Matt Riddle, uh, 2.53 for that one. Another nothing match. These are just th- – there were five matches on this show, and we just talked about three of them that were just a, a, a pushed NXT star beating someone who hasn't gotten their push yet in a, sh- in a, in a short little TV match. So – uh, and there were five matches like that. Yeah. This was not a great week for NXT TV. It for, wasn't. For yeah. Not at all. So we have Conti versus Knox again, another match that, you know, two another point, one. 2.3 uh, on Grapple, so not much there. And then Boa versus Killian Dane was a, a 1.74. So that's the lowest so yep. far uh, of all. Those are the five. And that's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair rating for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyone who thinks NXT had the better show this week in any regard is nuts. I mean, AEW has been the better show all three weeks for reasons other than the in-ring because you could argue about the in-ring on the other two weeks, I think. And I'm not I think reasonable minds could pick either show. Sure. Okay. this week, it's not even close. The AEW AEW was a better show in every way, and it wasn't even close in any regard. The matches were a shit ton better. AEW had great matches up and down the two hours and AEW overall is just a better show every week. It's a more. Uh, exciting, vibrant. Uh, uh, it feels must watch. NXT never feels must watch. So um, it, I thought AEW blew away NXT this week. 
but I think, but I did like the main. What were the others? I think there's yeah, the so main just event. one more match. Yeah, the Damian Priest versus Pete Dunne main event, which is actually so far now at, per you know Grapple users, uh, three point eight six is the highest of uh, the entire NXT show so far, and I, I would probably agree as well. I like that tag match maybe a little bit more than this, but this was a pretty kick ass match, so I, I have no no beef with that. Yeah, this was the to me this was the best match on the show, uh, you know, because of the issues that the tag match had, and I think it'd probably be like the third best match on AEW, you know, at best this week yeah so but yeah it was a pretty good match i mean the low blow finish it's whatever mm -hmm. i mean you know the AEW main event had a shitty finish too sure uh but it's like uh oh my god did you hear morrow this week calling this match with his uh with his with his uh with his line when when uh when when uh priest hit the low blow i do i don't i there were so many morrow lines uh on last night's show i do not remember that one what what did he say well, you do know that Damian Priest Rich is the archer of infamy. Of course, right? yes, yes, yes. He said, uh, "Oh, I, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't want to botch it. Let me grab my notes." Yeah, yeah. Make sure you do, make sure you get the notes here. Yeah. It was, it was gathering his Morrow notes. Important stuff here. I don't know what what room are these in. All right, we're back. All right, there we are. Yeah. So I wrote this baby down because it was too goddamn good. This is what Morrow said when he hit the low blow. Okay. Which. Which tells you I, I don't remember this, so I'm excited. I don't know why I don't remember this. I usually keep very uh, diligent notes of Amaro's terrible lines. So, you ready? <clears throat> the Archer of Infamy just hit the ball's eye. Okay. <laughs> Rich, <sighs> I know you. Do you still like Amaro? Because I, I do. We do no, have to get I into Amaro. Okay, you hate him now. Good, because I was going to get into Amaro argument with you. But, uh, I was the sucks. last. Yeah. I was the last Morrow defender. I can't defend he him anymore. He fucking stinks. Yeah, he's so rich. Bad. Listen, listen, it gets worse. He repeated Ball's eye on the replay. He said it twice. <laughs> My favorite line from NXT. I think I tweeted this out earlier. Let me get this one right too. And it wasn't even Morrow. It's like I'll it, give you another. Yeah, while you're, while, while while you're getting this one. Out. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give you another Morrow one. one, but it's a good one regardless. So. I'll give you another one from the same match. Pete Dunn went for the finger break. You familiar with the finger break, Of Rich? course. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Morrow said, <clears throat> We all know that Pete Dunn enjoys finger food as long as it's vegan. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does that even... Like... Pete Dunn is vegan, I guess. I didn't even I know suppose, that. Yeah, I, I suppose that's true. I don't. I don't know that. But I guess either, that's but... the idea here. But what, finger food, as long <laughs> as it's vegan, he just had to find a way to let us know that Dunn is a vegan. Yeah, I, I is don't he know. even vegan? I Trent Seven is vegan. Yeah, I don't think Pete Dunn was a vegan, but I guess maybe I, guess I didn't even know that Pete Dunn. Maybe they're all vegans. Why are these vegans so chunky? Can you answer that for me? Uh, I have a buddy who is. How are these and, vegan men, like, not? Well, I, I don't speak for all vegans, but I do have a few buddies that are, and, and they've always told me the big issue is, uh, calorie-wise, they end up having to eat, like, shittier food to kind of maintain their calorie count, so they'll eat, like, a bag of chips, so they'll eat candy a lot or whatnot. Like, they try to eat as healthy as possible, but it's just, like, you know, calorie-wise, it ends up becoming an issue just, just having sort of stuff. And I think it's a lot easier now. I mean, these days, I think it's it, it's way easier to um, to do it because there's a lot more. Wait, so are they just always hungry? 
I think so. Yes, my buddies, are my buddies that do it hungry? are always hungry, and then just like supplement it by like eating chips and candy or whatnot. And and I'm not saying that that's what Pete Tunz is doing or what these guys are doing. Or I'm sure Trent. I'm saying that that's what Trent Seven's doing. I don't know about Pete Tunz, but Trent's probably throwing open a bag of chips every so often or uh, crisps because uh, he's a, uh, a UK man. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That that's what my buddy. But I don't know. Again, like I don't know if that's you know. Same with every everybody, but uh, I know that. So there you go. Moro Moro is atrocious. Okay, so I'm glad. I'm glad. I really thought you were still on the on the Moro train, but I'm glad you're you're so over that. Yeah, I just he just gets worse and worse. I mean the the, I mean it used to be a couple times per show. Now it's every it's It's four or five of them per match. You can't take I, it. I, I've become a big fan of his obscure underground hip hop references that he makes that like that pop like me and like a few. Other, but I'm like, oh my god, how many people know who MF Doom is? They're watching NXT on USA because he's yeah. like, oh, like I forget who it was. It was it was Walter. Uh, he was talking about Walter last week. He's like, just like rapper MF Doom says, all caps, get the name right or whatever. And I'm like, nobody knows that. Like I know uh, that, but I know that because I'm like a, a, a weird like underground hip hop backpack kid. That grew up on that, like, but nobody else does. I don't like, know. Joe, who's MF Doom, Joe? Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you exactly. I know. I Especially know, their I audience. Know. I made the joke that because their audience is so old, you should start making like Three Dog Night references and shit. Be a little bit better than like the fucking yeah, MF Doom and Immortal Technique references he constantly is making. So I know Three Dog Night. I I knew you would. So there you go. My dad loves Three Dog Night. So. I know the Three Dog Night. I don't know MF Doom. I know Snoop Doggy Dog, and you know. What about I Rock Kim, he I, I, he may have dropped a Rock Kim reference at some point. Uh, he, Eric B. Yeah, Eric B. and Rock Kim. Yeah. I know them. I don't know fucking MF Doom. <laughs> I have no clue. All right, so here was the quote uh, from from Beth Phoenix. So now I think she's starting to have her own quotes here too. So so Mara was talking about Io Shirai and, and said something, and 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 Beth said. Well, Morrow, Io Shirai is a modern mercenary, and she's hell bent on achieving her egocentric destiny. What? I don't know. I was driving to work. You know what? It, 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 it's just like <laughs> I had to pull over for a second. What is that? Because she she said it's so like in conversation too. Because Morrow yeah. was like, "Oh, Io Shirai looks poised for a uh, 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 great performance uh, tonight," and she goes, "Well, Morrow, you know, Io Shirai is the modern mercenary, and she's hell bent on achieving her egocentric destiny." <laughs> what? Why? I don't know. <laughs> Can't they just talk like humans? I don't. Modern mercenary. She's hell bent on achieving her egocentric destiny. <sighs> These all read like the back of magic cards. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Were you a magic player in your day, Joe? Probably not. You were uh, hanging out with women, probably. So um... yeah. Well, these sound like the back of magic cards, anyway. So. You mean like, are you referring magic to the gathering? Magic, yeah. The gathering? Yes, yeah, yeah. Or like, you were doing like <laughs> no, street not, magic, not, like... Street, not Chris Angel. No, no, not like Chris Angel street magic. No, like Magic the Gathering cards. Oh, so you you're such a Magic the Gathering aficionado that you just call it magic. Like you don't even like. Like it's implied, the rest is implied. You're right. I did kind of imply that, yeah. Because like my yeah. buddies, if I said magic, they wouldn't think that I'm like putting a coin through my, you know, you know up my sleeve. Exactly. Or whatever. Yeah. When you said when you said Joe, did you do magic? I I thought you were talking about taking a quarter out of your ear and impressing your five year old niece. You know, I didn't think, I, but you you were just casually referring yeah, wow. to the dorky card game. <laughs> I really magic showed myself there, didn't I? 
you really outed yourself there. That is a classic telling on yourself right there. You're just like magic. Like you casually drop that with your friends. You're like, hey guys, you want to play some magic? Are you still playing magic? I'm not. No, it's got it got way too expensive. So I, I, I ended up getting out of it a long time ago. So they always fuck you, don't they? Have they found a way to make that expensive? Oh yeah, like the car. Well, what would happen is like, so I play with my friends, and we all had some fun or whatever. But then there was one friend who, you know, was <laughs> had a little bit more money, and he was able to get better cards. And then we would go to like tournaments, and you forget the tournaments, dude, because there's like guys that like have everything lined up. There's dudes that like there was like grown men that have jobs that were just like out here like destroying us. And we're like, all right, well this is stupid. <laughs> like this, you know, I, I'm not gonna. I'm a 12 year old. I'm not gonna compete with this 35 year old guy who's got a job and is buying these, you know, the best cards or whatever. So it was, yeah, it was. It was stupid, Wait, you but. can just buy better cards sure they're them. making they're in the business of making money children in the business of fair like so this isn't like a chess tournament where everyone has two knights no, and fucking God, eight no. Rooks. no 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 so you can just this would be the equivalent of playing chess but i could afford to buy a bunch of queens right and you, yeah, you have you all decide pawns. i'm i'm stuck with my pawns or whatever and you just say ah instead of the pawns i traded them in i just got queens instead so that's like what a stupid game that's I mean, great, so. the person with the best cards is just going to win, right? I mean, there's no skill involved here. It's, it's a, a metaphor for life, isn't it, Joe? <laughs> Listen, that's why you got to have a hustle. All right, so let's get to the actual AEW show. I'm glad that you think Moro sucks now, too. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm reassured. Because yes, every time I listen, I'm like, man, how does Joe still think this guy's good? Because... No, right. he sucks. Okay, you that's, that's, listen. You can't dig your heels in. Sometimes you know that's one thing. You, you can't gotta, dig your. Yeah. You gotta change your opinions sometimes. Absolutely. Sometimes things that suck become good, and sometimes things that are good suck. And um, I feel like I'm quoting Rosie Perez in White Men Can't Jump, and she said something like that. <laughs> I think she did. Right? Some similar level. Right? Sometimes when you, she, no, that's what she said. Sometimes when you win, you actually lose, and sometimes when you lose, you actually win. And sometimes when you tie, you can win or lose. That's what she said, right? In that the is, fucking yeah. Hotel, she's right? on her gum. Yeah, she was, a, she was a babe in that movie. She was a philosopher right before she left Woody Harrelson for real. for the la- That is some scene when she leaves on those fucking rollerblades for the last time yeah. when she's finally had enough of his shit and she just fucking skates away, right? That is some scene in that movie, let me tell you. That's a good movie. That's a great that's movie. A movie. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's, that's an all time. That'll, that'll stop you in your tracks oh, when you're sure. flipping. Yeah, no matter what. Even if it's got a, a, an hour left, 10 minutes left, yes. 20 minutes left, I'm I'm in. The best is I, yeah. I chime in and I know it's like the first game and I'm like, fuck yeah. Here we go, baby. We're oh, God. Yeah, when you, when you catch it early and yeah. you're getting the whole fucking experience. How gut-wrenching is that scene? The final scene where, you know, they, they find like the back alley hoop. You want him to dunk on it so bad, don't you? Like you oh, want – you know what's going to happen. Like, intellectually, you know that he doesn't make the dunk and he loses all the money again and, his, and Rosie's going to leave him and everything and the, 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 the fucking Fratelli brothers or whatever their names were are going to fucking kill him. But, it, but he, you still are hoping he makes that dunk. It's, 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 it's one of those movies where you just – you want the outcome to be different even though you know it's not going to be because you've watched it, I don't know, 940 <laughs> Exactly, times. yeah, but maybe this time. Maybe this time yes. when he turns that arm and throws it down and, and everything as well. But, uh, yeah, fortunately not. But, yeah, what a great movie. Just watch it soon. Okay. It's been like, there's, that one, there's that one titty scene with Rosie Perez, yeah, right? There like the side, yeah, yeah. There's the side boob scene. And then there's – isn't there a full titty scene? Oh, there is. Two? Oh, trust me. Yeah. Young, young yeah. Rich Grace was well, well aware of that scene. So. Yeah, yeah. That's when you want to catch it. You're like, oh, shit. We're only 34 minutes in and the Rosie Perez titty scene is 47 minutes in. Like you probably had that shit marked. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Was, I rented that movie a lot and not just because I liked the movie. It was uh, – <laughs> <yeah. laughs> 
I was young, you know, when you're 11, you got to get it where you can get it. It was like a great movie, and, you know, you got to see you know, Rosie Perez, so that's, you know. I'm not, listen, I'm not killing you. Now, the Magic the Gathering, uh, you know. <laughs> that's fair, but, that's fair. But Rosie Perez titties and white men can't jump, I can't kill you. All right. Kill you. All right. Uh, let's get to this AEW show here a little bit. Uh, so you had the best friends uh, in the opener, uh, best friends versus SCU. This is actually a pretty fun opener too, because uh, what happened is the Lucha Brothers came out, attacked Christopher Daniels, hit the package pile driver on him on the ramp, and they carted him away. And, and you may know to this on, on Twitter, and I think you did it on the uh, the TV reviews as well. Is it was cool that Shima ran down there just to kind of check on his buddy, and it's like yeah, it's like cool continuity, like. Other companies wouldn't do that, but they decided, hey, Shima's, like, loosely aligned with SCU, so, yeah, he would come down and make sure his buddy's okay, like, make sure, you know, nothing's going yeah. wrong, so that, I like that, it was a nice little touch. Yeah, yeah, that, you know, it's a little thing, but it's the kind of thing that rewards you, you know, for paying attention, and it's just a dose of realism, and they don't hit you over the head with it, they didn't tell you he was there, they didn't put the camera on him, he was just there, because that's his buddy. Uh, so that one right now, uh, 3.15 uh, from Grapple users. So pretty good uh, ratings right there. And I can tell you as well, <laughs> if you want to talk about uh, you know ratings and, and, and whatnot, and, and we'll get to some other numbers as well. But uh, AEW, Dynamite, this first match had 128 votes. Uh, NXT uh, was averaging around like 30 to 40 votes for uh, per match. So uh, yeah, Grapple users not are definitely are watching AEW. So <laughs> it's not just Grapple users. They're getting crushed in the ratings, and everything reflects it. Um, even if you look at social media, like if you look at the hashtags, if you go to wrestling message boards, if you go to like, uh, you know, anything, our discord channel and see what people are talking about in real time, all of the buzz and all of the hype is around AEW and nobody cares about NXT in real time. It's, it's, it's staggering actually. Yeah. It's, it's a little surprising to me that the ratings gap isn't even a little bit bigger just based on those sorts of things. Yeah, well, it makes sense too with the with the older fan base too. Is that the older fans wouldn't be as active on all those sort of things or whatever? So I guess that's where where it comes in. But yeah, like you're saying, it it does feel you're like right. it would be uh, a little different. You just explained the difference. So that was perfect because it's the over fifties that are making up the difference, and they're not fucking lighting up Twitter. Yeah, right. Uh, so we had Alex Reynolds, the Beaver Boys, <laughs> showing up here uh, to face Santana and Ortiz. This match, of course, not going to get a huge rating here and, and, and probably shouldn't. It was just kind of an extended squash as well. Uh, 1.8 uh, here on Grapple. I, I went two stars with it because, yeah, it's like, what do you, you know. <laughs> it's, it's just a squash match. Exactly I, I never know how to be, but like, I don't, yeah, I don't know how to rate squash I, matches ever. First of all, I think that I think that that SCU match was way better than a three point one match. I, I would that, that I thought Scorpio Sky was so fucking great in that match. So I think that was actually a little underrated, but uh, but anyway. Yeah, it was a star making performance for Sky as well. I mean, he came out of there, you know, uh, you know, as kind of the third member of SCU, I thought. But then, yeah, he, he was he was huge when he you know walks out and, and and you know after the match and stuff. I mean, he was getting a hero's welcome and stuff, so that was cool for him. Uh, Rio and Britt Brit Baker here was the uh, the women's title match here. Uh, Grapple users two point eight five, which I think is actually pretty low. I I really like this. I thought it was the best performance I've ever seen of Britt Baker, and I thought Rio uh, was particularly good as well. But what do you think of this one? That's exactly what I said behind the paywall. This is the best I've ever seen Britt Baker. It's not that she was real good because she blew a couple of spots, but she's usually pretty bad. And I thought here she was competent. I thought she was the competent half of a really good match. Uh, when I say really good, I mean I had a three and a quarter or something. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it was a four star. Right, match right. Or... I went three and a quarter as well. I just thought it was a little bit above, you know, the two point eight. And I, the finish, I saw a lot of people being, you know, a little critical of the finish, but I, I liked it a lot because I think what it establishes that you know Britt Baker had had you know won a few matches with that that you know it's kind of a, a lame hold. It's like a you know a manable claw hold or whatever. With, you know, she's a dentist. I don't know if you knew that she's a dentist, but um, the way they did it though was pretty cool because the fans are like, oh shit, like. 
Britt Baker's going to win this title here, and then Riho just kind of rolls her up out of nowhere, and they even shot it pretty well, too. Rio rolls her up out of nowhere, gets her in the cradle, and gets the 1-2-3, which I thought was just a really, really good finish, uh, and played perfectly into the crowd. So, so I enjoyed the finish a lot. The finish was good, but that Britt Baker's finisher is silly. I, I hate the fact that she has a mouth-based finisher. It's just too much for me. It's WWE-level subtlety hammer stuff, where they just have to bang you over the head with it, and um, I, I just I don't like it. I, I think it's a silly finish. Uh, Jurassic Express, of course, Jungle Boy uh, and Marco Stunt, because Luchasaurus has a torn hamstring, uh, versus the Lucha Brothers. This is a much-discussed match on Twitter. Uh, Grapple users, 3.15 for this one. I went 2.5 with it. I didn't love it maybe as much as they did. Uh, but what do you think of uh, uh, the, the Jurassic Express uh, Lucha Bros? I just, I'm one of the people that didn't like how long it went. I, um, I think they should have dominated these two guys. I, behind the paywall, I might have did. I did eight or nine minutes screaming about it, so I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I can. I, you want um, me to take the mantle here because I, I have a few thoughts on it. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So, so my my basic thing, and and it's probably similar to what you said there. I haven't listened to the entire TV review, but what I would say is. There was a point in the match where it starts off and, and, and Marco is doing a bunch of cool moves and doing some cool shit and jumping over the and, and like I forget what it was, but there was some sort of cradle roll up or something that he had. I forget what it was. And it was like a count. It was like a two count that the crowd went nuts for it. thinking, oh, my God, he might get a win here. And I thought that was the perfect moment. That's it for them. You got the crowd invested in them. They came out hot right out of the gates. The fans were enjoying it. The fans were loving it. Okay, Pentagon just fucking takes his head off and, and, and puts him in a package power driver and puts him away. You got enough of the visual there where Marcus Stunt got the two count. They almost surprised you know, the, the, the guys that are presumably going to go pretty far in the tournament, maybe win the entire tournament or at least get to the finals. Like You had your surprise. You had your, oh, my God, it came out of nowhere. But that's it. Like Do not keep going on. But the fact that it, it went on for like five and six more minutes after that point, I was just like, no, you, you had it. You had enough there where like Marco and 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 Jungle Boy would have not lost a thing by going out there out of the gates and, and, and working their ass off and having a quick little pace match or whatever. And and yeah, it's just like it, it didn't it was I, it was dumb. I, I did not like how they booked that match. I think there was just a way better way to do that. Yeah, I didn't like the layout at all. I think that they should have just blitzed them and beat the living shit out of them. Yeah, no, what I, I, I said agree. behind the paywall was one. What I said behind the paywall was give them one hope spot. So I agree with you. That right, one hope right. spot they I don't got know if you was remember the one. Do you got. remember the one I'm talking about? Like and I forget what it was. They came in, they did all the total did everything, and then Marco did something where I think he countered a move into a roll up, and it was like good. He had like a deep pin in there, and it was like oh shit, like what the fuck? Like it was like one two, and then like two point nine. You know, I think Penta kicked out, and it was like oh fuck. But that would have been it. Then I would have had Penta get up, fucking clothesline the guy, package pile driver, and one two three, get the fuck out of our ring, guys. Like you know, we're the stars, you're not. Yeah, the bottom line is you're pushing Lucha Bros right now. You just did a heel turn. They just destroyed Christopher Daniels and made a statement. And uh, you're not pushing the Jungle Boy right now. That'll come later. He's a long-term project. You're not pushing Marco Stunt right now. And quite honestly, you're never going to push him. He's got his little role on the roster. I have no problem with him on the roster in the role that he's in. No, not at all. But he's a pin eater. And he's a nice little prelim wrestler who might get popular with kids. So exemplify the people you're pushing at the end of the day lucha brothers look good but they could have made them look better they the, the goal of that match should have been to make lucha brothers as vicious nasty and 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 fucking intimidating looking as possible right when you had the built-in story too of marco stunt being the late, late replacement like all you have exactly. to say here is that marco just found out two hours ago that he was going to be in this match he's not prepared and he's you know he, he you know he didn't he didn't train he's not ready for the lucha and then they just beat him in fucking two minutes who cares yes <laughs> you even have an, you even have an out to protect them in the commentary 
oh, he wasn't prepared for the match. We thought it was going to be Luchasaurus. You can even have an out. It just went on too long. Now, it's not like a critical mistake. I still think Lucha Brothers ultimately looked dominant, but they could have looked more dominant. And to me in wrestling, it's get your stars over, get the people that you're pushing now over as much as you can. And I think that the Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt were the perfect opponents for this opportunity. They were the perfect people for Lucha Brothers to just squash and kick the shit out of and look impressive doing it because Marco Stunt can take those tremendous bumps and fly around for these guys. You know, utilize those strengths. Utilize what you were handed. You were handed what looked like a physical mismatch, right? Uh, like, uh, you know, visually. Take advantage of it. And, 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 and push the Lucha Brothers even harder by having them destroy these guys. You're not going to hurt them. You can push the Jungle Boy later. You got years to push the Jungle Boy. And Marco just is what he is. Ultimately, Marco Stunt's role should be to put people over. Sure. That's what he is. Right. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think it was like this epic mistake. I don't think it was like this terrible fucking thing. I just think it could have been done better. And they should have been more dominant than they were. That's right. all. They, they've been if booking you want pretty it, well. So, so things like this stand out because it's like, ooh, okay, there was a way to do this better. Like they, they yes. maybe should have thought, you know. Now, if you want to hear me lose my fucking mind for eight straight <laughs> minutes on it, patreon.com slash voices of wrestling. But it's like, Rich, I already had that emotional dump. I can't do it again. It wouldn't be nat- like it was natural behind. Right, the right, right, right. It'd be forced. Now. I'm not going to fabricate do that now. Yeah, I'm not going to fake a rant. I already did the rant. But, you know, it, it, that's where you, you can find that. But those were my cliff note thoughts of it. Yeah. And uh, I should say, again, uh, 3.15 on uh, Grapple for that one. So now we have only two more matches left for AEW. So this is why I agree with you. Like, there has been – and I would, I would really listen to arguments. And I've made the argument, too, for the first two weeks that NXT was probably better in ring. I will not hear that for week three. I thought AEW week three in ring was way well, better. Well, because these, these next two matches fucking rule. Yeah, exactly. So you had Adam Page and um, – and Kenny Omega versus John Moxley and Pac. Uh, 3.84 right now on Grapple Users. I went four stars with it. I really, really liked it. Uh, John Moxley is just the fucking best. He's my favorite character in wrestling right now. I love the idea. Uh, Pac stands up to him. Pac tells him, no, 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 no. And John Moxley just goes, fuck you. And hits him with the, the TDT and walks out of the ring. And it's like, you know, people, I saw people being like, yeah, if wins and losses matter, then why is it John Moxley not care about winning? And it's like, because he doesn't care about winning. That's the story. <laughs> like, I cannot, this, this win-loss thing is so annoying. The people that want to dislike it and want to hate it and want to think it's stupid will find any. The reason John Moxley got it, you know, lost on purpose because he doesn't fucking care about wins and losses. Other people do. Kenny Omega is going to care about wins and losses eventually. That's going to be a part of his story is that he wants to, you know, get more wins. John Moxley doesn't. Like it's not hard to think. Like everybody thinks that everybody has to be the exact same about wins and losses. Like some people are going to care about him more than others. John Moxley is clearly t- and that's a great story is that John Moxley doesn't give a shit about wins and losses. He just wants to beat people up. That's fine. Yeah. Omega is already complaining about his record on being the elite. Right. He, he was complaining to Rick Knox uh, and asking why he didn't disqualify, why he didn't get a disqualification win when Moxley attacked him. And then he was complaining that he hasn't had a win yet or whatever. So that's exactly right. It's it's each character is going to you know react to these things differently. But you're dead on about Moxley. Um, for whatever reason, he he's fucking annoyed at Pack, and they're going to have a match next week, and he'll want to win that one. You know, and and you know it's it's. They, that was the big angle, and, it's, and I'm excited about to see that match next week. 
And, you know, as usual, the crowd was on fire. What do you think of this? I heard Dave Meltzer say this today, and I really want your thoughts on this because it really made me think. Dave Meltzer contends that everybody is over in AEW, right? The crowd basically fucking reacts for just about everyone with that, right? Sort of, yeah, yeah. Uh, at level, different levels. Yeah, for, I think, but... I'm talking about the, I'm talking about the, star, the stars. I'm talking yeah, about oh, yeah, okay, Bucks, yeah, 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 for sure. The people who matter. I'm not talking about like fucking Kip Sabian. I'm talking about the people that you know. But he contends that the only person who's over over is Chris Jericho. What do you think about that? He says Jericho is the only one that's over. And I forgot how he phrased it, but really in a meaningful money drawing way. He says the others are just. Fans in the building are reacting to them because, but but if you're a television viewer, Jericho's really the only one that matters. What do you think of that? I think that's interesting. Yeah, I, I disagree with that. I think you know, in this and in, in this match in particular, opened my eyes too to you know we we you know see a lot of stuff about Kenny Omega and oh he doesn't feel like a star. He came out and it was a monstrous reaction, just a fucking star when he came out immediately. The music hits and, and people went absolutely nuts. And and so I would say from the the level of Kenny Omega, no, I would disagree. I think Omega's over over. And then there's fucking Cody. I mean, Cody's on another level. I think Cody's even more over than Jericho is, really. I mean, Cody is a god to those people right now and god to that AEW. So, no, I, I think that's completely wrong and completely preposterous because I think Cody is he's even higher than Jericho. Cody's the one I instantly thought about as how can you say that when Cody gets the reactions he does. But his point was sort of like, okay, the 5,000 people that are going to buy tickets in 20 minutes in every town, yeah, everybody is over with them. But he doesn't get the sense that anybody's over with the television viewers aside from Jericho. And I just it, it did make me think. I think it's interesting, and I do think it's it's a it's an interesting point. Um, you know, it's yeah, they have lost four hundred thousand viewers in three. Sure, in three yeah, 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 yeah. From that aspect, I mean, yeah, if you're talking about like who's you know identifiable to casual fans, like I think it, it, Jericho's probably the one. And and but because, listen, we all know that there's over. And then there's your there's like two like when people use that phrase oh that what that person's over there's two different meanings to that there's you're over in front of live crowds but the the true meaning of over is you draw money is you are a needle mover people pay to see you people your television segments grow you push merchandise that's the definite that's the old school definition of over right now we just apply it to anything that gets a pop. Which doesn't you can get a pop and be over in the buildings, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're over. You right. See which what could I'm be saying? the Kenny Omega thing. Like, I'm not I, saying I, I would I, agree that the Kenny Omega thing, if you want to make an argument about that, I think he's over to the audiences that are there at the shows, but I don't know that like my mom who watches AEW <laughs> occasionally because she's just flipping around has any idea. Cause I asked her like who were guys, you know, because the other day she was like, Oh, I was flipping around and, and the, the first name she brought up was Chris Jericho. She's like, I can't believe Chris Jericho is still wrestling. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she said, Well, who's this guy? Or who's that? And like she kind of described other guys, but it was obvious that nobody else Jericho was the one that she remembered. She said, oh, I can't believe Chris Jericho's still there. And then she said, who's the guy with the hair? I don't really like the guy with the hair. She meant Pac. She doesn't like Pac's hair. Uh, she actually mentioned, there's another guy with hair, and that was Kenny Omega. But that's what I mean. Like, she doesn't know, oh, Kenny Omega, he's a star. She did know She did know Cody, though. She said, oh, the guy, the the other guy, Cody, or whatever. Cody, or, like, yeah, so she knew that, but it was like, that was the only two. But Jericho was, again, like the one that, that the 100% was the first one that she thought of. So I think the best way to explain this to people would be, like, the New Japan Young Lions are over. but. Tetsuya Naito's over. You, you see what I'm saying? Like that's the that's the difference. Like if you go to a show, yeah, you'll cheer because the young lions are entertaining, but you're not paying to see them. 
and you wouldn't pay to see them. You know, Tetsuya Naito and Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi, they're over, they're truly over. So I don't know. It just it it was a talking point that made me stop and think. So I thought I would bring it up. But anyway, that was the uh tag match and we get Moxley and Pack. I'm training myself, Rich. Oh, did Pac. I say I, I think I said Pac earlier, so yeah. Pack, yes, correct. I'm I'm trying to do it right. I you know, it's we do enough of these names wrong that um, you know, we should probably make it. We should get some right, yeah. <laughs> That's true. All right, so that match, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Grapple Users 3.84. And then the main event, which uh, so far has been my favorite match of Dynamite so far, uh, of every any episode of Dynamite, uh, Chris Jericho, Darby Allen. I am amazed by this rating, Joe. I went four and a quarter with this. Grapple Users 3.57. Are they nuts or am I nuts? Where do you stand? I'd be a little higher on it. Um, three and three quarters, four, somewhere in that range. But I think that um, you know, it was the most entertaining match of the night on either show, uh, you know, and, you know, Darby was incredible. He needed to knock it out of the park and he did, um, you know, the, now look, this was a match structure perfect for Darby Allen. The only question was, would the moment be too big for him? And I think we now have the answer to that. He's just unflappable. I don't think he gives a shit if there's, you know, 40 people there or 40,000 people there. I, I, I just think he's that kind of personality. You know, he just uh, enjoys performing and and doing shit that nobody else can do. And Jericho was so good here. Yeah. I oh, mean, yeah, perfect in the role. And and look, I didn't love the finish either, but I get why they're doing it, because Jericho, they're trying to get heat on Jericho. The guy gets cheered in every building. And I, to me, I wouldn't fight it because I feel like you're never going to change that until the honeymoon period's over. Until until they go to every city once, everyone who's getting AEW for the first time wants to pop for everyone because it's this movement. It's this revolution. They just want to cheer. The second time you come to these cities, I think you're going to get more of the reactions that you want. Right now, they just want to cheer everyone. And, you know, and, and I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to get some heat on Jericho and they wanted to cheat people out of a finish to get that to get there and cheat Darby who people were getting behind. So I get it. Doesn't mean I like it. Do I think Jericho should have just hit a Judas effect and pinned him? Yeah. Cause it's the same, you know, Darby gets over either way. It doesn't make a difference. What kind of finish you do. I mean, everyone knew he wasn't going to win. He had gotten over already, whether he gets pinned or not clean, he's still going to get over. So yeah, I would have preferred not having Hager, but I, I get why they did it. Yeah, so the finish, like, and, and I've seen some people get upset about it, and it didn't really take away from the match for me because I think the same story was kind of there. But similar to, like, the, the, the Jurassic Express thing that we talked about is, like, I think there was just a better way to do it than they did it. Like, I think Darby could have just lost that match. Jericho could have just beat him, and, and, and Darby would have been fine because his hands tied behind his back. Everything that you needed to do, you didn't need to protect him any further by having Hager come in there and, and, and beat him up or whatever. But... From that aspect, too, they're trying to get heat on Jericho. The end game of it was more heat, more heat, more heat. And I don't think it took anything away from Darby. It's just like there was a better way to maybe do that finish. But it's not one that like, oh, my God, that completely ruined the match for me. Like, kind of shitty. Didn't love the finish. But still, I think Darby got over like tremendously. I, I, I think it was a great, great moment for him. Like you said, Jericho gave him a lot in that match, too. Which, again, for all the criticism that Jericho gets about, you know, he, he phones it in or he comes in under Japan. Like, anybody that says that shit, it's just it's stupid. Because you see in a match like this where he understands that that guy that he's across the ring from is going to benefit by being in the ring with Chris Jericho. And he gives him a ton. He gave Darby Allen a huge platform there to look like a star. And 
Darby Allen looked like a star when that match was done. I mean, he, he really did. And I thought the hand side behind his back stuff uh, was fantastic. Um, I'm going to get some people upset, but I don't want to hear any more about Orange Cassidy being a great worker when his hands are in his pockets because I just saw Darby Allen do 15 times what Orange Cassidy does with his hand side behind his back. So there's that. So I'm sure the match and in a, that. And in, a way, and in a way that's not just thick with irony. Yeah. And 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 basically saying everyone in the building knows wrestling silly, so I'm just going to be silly. No, in a way that was incorporated perfectly into the match and told a good story. Yeah. You know? So that's the difference too. Right, but I'm sure that'll make people very very upset. But anyway, regardless. let him be mad. Yeah, yeah, listen, exactly. let him. It's true. Be mad, it's true. You know? I mean, no fucking it's it's a hundred percent true. And and listen, we have both supported them signing Orange. I get why they signed him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, there's, I would have signed them. That doesn't mean I have to like it. But, uh, you know, but I understand why they signed him. Guy's red hot. Of course you want to sign him. Listen to the reactions he gets. Now, I don't know. As is, am I, am I featuring him on my show doing the act as it's currently constructed on the indie? No fucking way. There needs to be tweaks to that act for it to work on TV. Um, you know, you can retain the essence, but he can't. But anyway, we're drifting off the top. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I thought an all-time great performance by Darby. I thought that yeah. it was a star-making performance too. Uh, so I really liked it. So yeah, I'm kind of surprised it's as low as it is. I uh, grappled at 3.57, but yeah, I went four and a quarter. Uh, far and away my favorite match so far in Dynamite. I really, really liked it just because it was it told the perfect story. Ending aside, which a little bit of criticism about the ending, but yeah, I think Darby got over. Thought Jericho gave a great platform for for Darby. Jericho got his heat. It, it just it, it it accomplished everything they needed it to accomplish. So, but. did you like that better than Bucks and Private Party? I did. Yeah. Oh, ooh, ooh, that's tough. I mm, that's the only other contender. I really. think I like this one better, but I'd really have to almost watch them back to back. Bucks Private Party was awesome, but this felt impo- a little bit more important. That, that Bucks Private Party was awesome, but it was kind of like, hey, this is awesome, and they're doing shit, and it's kind of fun, like. Ooh, that's a tough one. But I, I do think I like this one a little bit better. There just felt like a little bit more importance to it. There felt like there was a little bit more substance to it. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, they both got new acts over. Um, similar matches in. Look, the stories were kind of similar in an odd way, even though right, they worked, right. we were worked different ways. Um, you're still going with Cody and Dustin for the best match in the promotion's history. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is that is that where you're at too? Yeah, yeah but I anyway, think, I, I don't think there's any other contenders. Um, probably right now. unless I'm I don't think so, unless I'm forgetting something because we're not real hot. I mean, some people might say Bucks Lucha brother, brothers with the ladder match. Yeah, but, but again, really wasn't like, we, we're not fair to those matches uh, anymore, so that's fine. So I mean some people might say that, but I think Cody and Dustin would be the the, the popular choice. I, I really think the the Bucks um the, the, the Bucks and Private Party, though, that was a phenomenal match. I mean, it really was. This was this was a really good match, too, but in, you know, same story told in a different way. I don't know. They were both really good matches. Yeah, though. that's fine. But I thought, I thought AEW was a far superior show to NXT this week. I thought this week was the biggest gap in either direction in terms of which show was better. I don't know where you stand on that. Yeah, no, no. I thought, yeah. The, the, like I said, the other two weeks... I would have made a real argument for NXT, and I did, I think, make a, a, a pretty consistent argument that I thought NXT was better in-ring from, like, a pure wrestling show. Like, yeah. I think I, I, of course, enjoyed the AEW shows a little bit better because I, I, we've talked about it on the show, of course, why I did. But, um, you know, this week, yeah. yeah, yeah, for every reason, production-wise, all everything there. But this week, it felt like this was, to me, the biggest gap in terms of enjoyment of the show, because I love this AEW show. Like I said, that main event was one of my favorite matches that they've done, you know, in that company's history so far, and I thought everything was was, was hit well, every story was well, everything was done well, and then, like, that NXT show, because I'm not a guy that was into, you know, Dijakovic and, and Lee, 
and Dunn and, 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 you know, fucking Damian Priest, I was trying to say Punishment Martinez, was good, but, like, didn't hit me on that level. And then the rest was just, like, not just squash matches, and I just wasn't, yeah, it just didn't didn't hit me at all. So I thought there was a huge gap between the two shows this week, so. Yeah. All right, let's get to some other news here as we're kind of in the last hour of the show here. Bushi Road, Stardom, and NXT New Japan. There's a lot going on with this story, and we need to touch on it here. Uh, the huge news, though, the ones we can't confirm, is that uh, New Japan's parent company, Bushi Road, has acquired Stardom. So, Joe, uh, what do you make of this news so far before we get to kind of all the nuts and bolts? But the overall arcing thing is New Japan has not bought Stardom, but New Japan's parent company, Bushi Road, has purchased stardom. So what do you make of this whole situation? We don't talk about Joshi all that much, so we might be ignorant to some stuff here, and uh, I, there's probably people that know all the nuts and bolts and ins and outs or whatever, but from an overall standpoint, Bushi Road acquiring stardom, you know, what are your thoughts? It seems to me that if you're a stardom fan, there's really no downside to this whatsoever. You're going to be owned by a, uh, a, a giant corporation that's going to put money and muscle behind the promotion. You should be thrilled. Okay, They're going to run it as a separate entity, and, uh, you know, this is great if you're a stardom fan. If you're a Joshi fan that enjoys the entire world of Joshi, I could see why this would give you a little bit of pause. Because now you have a scenario where uh, stardom has just leapfrogged all of the other Joshi promotions and left them in the dust in terms of, uh, you know, uh, uh, in terms of just promotional muscle. And, you know, conceivably they could fleece the scene. That could happen. So your ice ribbons and your everything else, I mean, they can be in, in trouble your Oz here. Academies, yeah, you're, you're not good. Yeah, I mean, you know, so th- that I could see why you'd be concerned. If you're one of these Western fans and stardom is incredibly popular in the West, uh, you know, relatively speaking to just about any other, to, to, well, really to any Japanese wrestling promotion with the exception of New Japan. You think that'd be fair to say? They'd be number two. Oh, sure, yeah. In terms of Western fans. Um, their streaming service actually has more Western purchases than Japanese purchases. It just appeals to Western fans for whatever reason. That's the stuff me and you can't really get into because we don't follow it close enough, but it just does. And um, I think that this you know, widens the gap considerably. They're not by far the number one Joshi promotion in Japan. And they could eat up the scene if that's what Bushiroad chooses to do. But if you're just one of those Western fans who loves stardom and you don't really care about the rest of Joshi – this is great for you. I mean, look what Bushi Road has done for New Japan. You know, so if they put the same kind of muscle behind stardom, uh, your favorite promotion is just going to continue to grow and be more high profile and 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 all of those sorts of things. So that's kind of my take on it. Uh, I'm still not necessarily going to be into it. It's just not my scene, but. So, but, you know, so I'm being completely objective here. I just think I don't see a downside if you're a stardom fan. This, this is, they're in a better, way better position today than they were yesterday. Yeah. To me, like, it's hard to see a lot of the negatives. And when I asked that, I asked it on Twitter because I was, I was thinking a lot of people being real you know, down on this move. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I don't see the downsides. And, and I got some really good, you know, stuff from people that just kind of said, yeah, it's, you know, reasonable people. There was also just your bad faith actors and all those people that are just kind of would be upset about this because they're gatekeepers and all that other bullshit. But, you know, for the most part, the people that I do respect and, and people that brought it up was just like, yeah, I'm a fan of the other stuff. And it's like, man, this one company now is just a dynamo. And the rest of the scene, like, just can't compete. You know, if there's ever going to be a wrestler that, that that's up for a con- like, there's going to be no, you know, competing with with the stardom. Like, right. stardom has now become just this 
Goliath in this, you know, relative to the rest of the companies that are running on these shoestring budgets or whatever, which Stardom really was, and that's why this came up. Stardom was was the best. It had the best connections in terms of the West and stuff, and and that was even, you know, there was some struggles going on there, and that's why the thing was for sale, and that's why, hell, when, when there's offers at the table, including one from WWE and, and New Japan came to the table, or Bushi Road came to the table, I should say, then, yeah, it was like, all right, cool. If, if at lo- as, as long as we're going to get, you know, still be able to be what we are and, 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 and you know, my life's work for, for Rossi Ogawa, who's, you know, the owner of, of Stardom, is still going to be able to see through his vision, at least for now, you know, just done by a different company and just done with a little bit more muscle and a TV deal and full-time contracts and advertising. And and, and, and that's what Bushiroad is, 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 excels in. And we've seen that with New Japan is, is getting these guys on. And we talked about it when Bushiroad, you know, was really ramping up what they were going to do for New Japan is get them on TV shows, get them on news broadcasts, get them on billboards, get them on subway advertisements, get them on video games, do that sort of stuff was all what it was going to be is that muscle that Bushiroad can kind of play in. And now they're going to throw that in uh, to stardom, which is, is, is really cool. So, so for somebody who, you know, isn't into the scene that much, like it sounds really cool. It sounds awesome. Like, you know, I, I again, I don't know if I'm going to be able to fit it in my wrestling world because there's already so much, but it's cool. And, you know, the downside is that, yeah, there's this Goliath now in the industry and what are they going to do with it? And and I saw some people say, oh, you know, I'm kind of worried of what Bushiroad's going to do to start But I think most smart people think that it's going to be kind of business as usual, just have a little bit more advertising muscle behind it. So uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I saw people be like, oh, it could be like Noah when New Japan owned Noah. And I was like, nah, I don't, I don't really think so. Well, I mean, the, totally the, the, situation. the situations aren't the same. I mean, they, they bought a, ma- a minority interest in Noah. And a part of the deal was they were given creative control. And I exactly. just think, and this is the opposite. <laughs> you know no, what I mean? They, yeah. just, they just fucking own it. So it doesn't make wouldn't make any sense for them to um, to not care about its success because this is an asset in you know uh, in in a in a major corporation's fucking on a major corporation's ledger. Whereas the other thing was the New Japan branch of that corporation having a minority stake in a wrestling company and just, you know, it, it, it's, it, they're not the same situations at all. Um, I do think that, you know, the idea that WWE is poking around Japan, trying to start up an NXT branch over there did precipitate this. I think there's no question about it. And new Japan is, is, is fighting back in any way they can, because the reports are that WWE wanted to, uh, purchase stardom and use that as sort of their base to establish their uh, NXT Japan division, you know, with training school already in place and a full schedule already in place and, a, and an entire roster. I mean, there you have an entire women's roster. Now you just have to worry about finding men, you know, the whole de- you know, and, and, you know, that was one of the attempts they made. We also know that they attempted to buy Noah and Noah told them to hit the bricks too. So they're having trouble you know, purchasing an established promotion. And we kind of figured that they would. If they're going to do this, and, you know, they want to do this by quarter one 2020, which re-reported behind the paywall, um, you know, they're going to have to, it's going to be harder for them than they thought. They're really going to have to put in their own legwork and and find a way to establish themselves. They, they can't, it appears as though they're not going to be able to take the shortcut of just buying an existing promotion and then putting their own spin on it. They've been turned back at least twice. And we know that New Japan isn't going to be open to, this, to talking to them. 
And Dragon Gate, I don't suspect, with Gaora and all that, is going to be very interested. And what are you left with? You're left, you know, DDT, they're owned by a giant company. Right. They're not going to be interested. <clears throat> you wouldn't think they would be. They're doing fine. So what are you left with? You're left with your big Japans and places like that. And, of course, Big Japan is the one that's rumored to be to be interested with Daisuke Sekimoto, which we talked about behind the paywall. And, and listen, Dave Meltzer this week basically confirmed a lot of the stuff that I reported first behind the paywall that, yeah, they are trying to get NXT Japan started up. And, yeah, Miko Satomura has been a W. I don't know if you saw that, Rich. She's been a WWE employee apparently for months now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I did notice and, that. Yeah, and, I went right to that section. It was like, oh, there you go. And that was the Observer today. And, you know, that's what we talked about behind the paywall where she's rumored to be one of the two coaches. The other being Daisuke Sekimoto, which is where the big Japan connection comes in. Because they paid for Daisuke Sekimoto's work visa to come work all these indies this year in the United States. Why else would they pay for Daisuke Sekimoto's work visa? Um, so I would not be shocked if he's a WWE employee already. I don't know that. But they paid for his visa. And we know that they talked to him. SummerSlam weekend when he was there in Toronto. And we know that he's heavily rumored to be the other coach. Can't confirm it, but heavily rumored. And, um, you know, that would mean that maybe Big Japan was the only place that would do any kind of business with him. Or maybe Daisuke Sekimoto is going into business for himself outside of Big Japan. You know, I I don't know the answer to that. If, if WWE understands what Big Japan is, I'd be stunned if they wanted to, you know. But if they buy Big Japan, they might just kill off the deathmatch division. Right, right, right. I think they just want to have some inroad, and they realize that they can't do it on their own. So if they have some yeah. weird, you know, because they can't just pull up shop and say, hey, we're WWE, and we want to book these buildings and do this. Sort of, like, it's not easy. And we knew that this was going to be difficult. We knew that of all the ones, they were able to go to the, the UK and say, hey, we're WWF. You guys like us, right? You grew up watching us, and that everybody would just bend over backwards, which is exactly what they did. And we knew that when they went to Japan, it was not going to be that way. I mean, it, 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 you know, the reports were that, you know, they went to, you know, Rossi Ogawa and were like, hey, you can, we'll put you in the Hall of Fame. And Rossi's like, I don't fucking care. Like, who gives a shit? Like, no, yeah. I don't want to go to the goddamn WWE Hall of Fame. I don't give a shit. But, like, that would work in, in the UK. You know what I mean? There's plenty of guys that would say, yeah, sure. That'd be great. So we knew that that was going to be an issue in Japan is, is how do they begin? And the only way they can really begin, I think, is to have at least – you know, some sort of stake in a company that already exists on some level. So I think that's probably what they're doing, but they might be still trying to do it on their own. Like, and, and that's ultimately going to be what they're going to want to do is, is, is take over a company and then just kind of have it in their own vision. But maybe they need to kind of get stuff ready. You need to have a figurehead Japanese, you know, cause it's, it's very difficult and people kind of forget this as well. It's very difficult to just be an American company set up shop in, in Japan and just go, okay, we're ready to go. You know, you know, there has to be some hierarchy there that at least shows, you know, some sort of allegiance. So it might be an idea of like, hey, Big Japan's already established. We just funnel them money and 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 we kind of change the name or we, we alter some stuff, but it is still quote unquote Big Japan or whatnot. There's got to be some ways around it. And I'm sure they've thought about that. I'm sure they're going through that right now because they wouldn't be so aggressive about trying to get with other companies if they knew that they could just set up shop on their own. So Well, if um, you buy if you buy Noah and you buy Stardom, right? Here's what that gives you right off the bat, even if you kill both brands immediately. A male roster and a female roster. A really strong female roster and a really strong male roster right off the bat. You just buy these promotions, you give everybody a contract, and you're off and ready. You can run shows now, right? With established wrestlers from the region. You know, and then I guess the hope from there would be, can we draw with our name on it 
with those wrestlers from because the thing about it when wwe goes to japan and runs shows at sumo hall and whatnot it's not like Japanese Pearl fans that go to those shows. It's Japanese fans of WWE that go to those shows. Right. They wear all their little cosplay outfits and everyone's, yeah, looking like Bray Wyatt and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And from what everyone has always told us, there's very little crossover. Like those people that go to WWE shows, they're like into American culture. They're not going to fucking zero one shows. Okay. It's like the fucking weeaboos here. Right. They're into fucking Japanese wrestling, but they don't they may not necessarily watch Monday Night Raw because they're into the Japanese culture. Well, there's Japanese fans that are into American culture. There's like reverse weeaboos over there. So that's who WWE draws from when they run their shows in Japan. So I don't know if they could just buy Noah, buy Stardom, uh, you know, put fucking uh Takashi Sagara and fucking I don't even know if I can name a stardom wrestler, to be completely honest with you. Starlight. Mayu Iwatani. Mayu Iwatani. There you go. Yeah. I don't know if you can just slap a WWE fucking branding on that and, and put Naomichi Marafuji out there with fucking whoever. And, and, and I, don't, I don't know if Japanese, if Japanese fans would reject that. And I don't know if they would draw those same fans that go to Sumo Hall to watch John Cena. Those fans might say, we don't like these Japanese wrestlers. We like Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins, and I don't know why they would, but th- that's what they're into. They're right. not and into. If, if I want Japanese wrestling, I'll go and watch. You know, these other companies or whatever. I'll go to New so, Japan. I'll right. go to fucking. Right. What do I need? This. What do I need? I don't want Japanese wrestling with your brand. You know. So, and that's kind of what happened in the UK. Honestly, they can't run house shows anymore because they weren't drawing. So they run TV tapings and takeovers. It's the same wrestlers, but they don't like the branding and the presentation. So, and in Japan, it's even going to be more of a line and more drastic. So I don't know what their plan is now, but their, but their original plan was to roll out quarter one of 2020. And with these setbacks being turned down by the new Noah owners, by Ledette or whatever that company's called, and getting turned down by Ogawa to buy now, who knows? I don't, I don't, I can't fathom how in three months they're going to be setting up shop over there. Yeah, that Q2, man, that sounds real aggressive. I it was Q1 or Q1. Yeah, that's I. And, and, and not only that, when you hear the offer they made stardom and how stardom was like they weren't prepared, we right, asked like them, what, What's the future? What are you going to do? What's your plan? And they're like, mm. <laughs> They had no answers. You want to go to the Hall of Fame? <laughs> yes. Their pitch was, we'll put you in the Hall of Fame and we'll give everybody contracts. Well, who's going to do, who are your trainers? Where are you going to, are you going to have a PC? And they didn't have any answers. They went over there to make a pitch without a plan. Rich, if I do that in my job, I get fired. What the fuck is that? They went over there with no plan? I mean, you got to be kidding me. And they expect, they see, they expect everyone to bow at their feet. They expect everything to be easy. You know, and, 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 and everyone to just you see Japan is different. It's a tougher nut to crack from that perspective. They don't give a fuck about your dopey Hall of Fame. And they're not going to mark out for you. They're just going to make the best business deals. So I think that was a wake-up call for them. And I, there, I don't think there's any way they're going to be able to set up shop quarter one of 2020. At this point, they're starting from ground zero. They tried to take a shortcut and buy promotions so they would have a fucking training school in place and everything. They have to build from the ground up and then hope that the culture accepts them, which is asking a ton. 
So, and I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I want them to fail. I don't want that to work out. Are you kidding me? Look what it did to Europe. And it destroyed a bunch of promotions that I used to enjoy paying attention to in Europe. You know, why would I want that to happen in Japan? That's exactly, you know, if, they, if they're successful, that's going to happen. They're just going to cannibalize everyone but New Japan. I don't want that to happen. I like watching Noah shows. I like watching All Japan. I don't want to see them pluck everybody and 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 present everybody in their vision because I think their vision sucks. So I'm glad they got turned away. And I hope it never gets off the ground as a wrestling fan. I mean, where do you stand with that? I, I don't want that to happen. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, the, 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 you know, seeing what they did in, in, in the UK is is just a shining light. We could have told you that was you – know, we told you that was what's going to happen with that. But the, the, the rate at which they decimated that scene – uh, I think even even was beyond what we really assumed. I mean, it was just a, a sweep through that, and and people allowed it to happen, and promotions allowed it to happen, and wrestlers allowed it to happen, and and I think everyone's kind of woken up and and, and seen. Okay, well, yeah, they and we we said it to them too. The goody goody, oh yeah, everybody, you know, we're all really, like look through history. They've done this before. They did it with the territories too. Oh, yeah, we'll feature you on All American Wrestling, of course. Yeah, come on, yeah, yeah. you know, put Junkyard Dog on the show. Yeah, it'll be great. Yeah, it'll be good. And then okay, we're gonna sign Junkyard Dog and and fuck you, you're gone or whatever. We knew that was what was gonna happen with with the UK scene, and it did. It's exactly what happened. And, and we we said even. Even at the time, years ago, when, when this rollout was starting to happen and there was the ideas and the rumors that we we're going to put PCs everywhere and NXTs and all over the place, we said Japan is always going to be the toughest for, one for them to do because the fan base is different, the promotions are different, the business is different, and ultimately, a lot of them are just not marks for WWE in the same way that a lot of other places are. The UK, you know, largely, you know, those people grew up watching WWE. A lot of these people didn't. <laughs> a lot of these companies didn't, and there's not that same reverence. And, and in many cases, there's some negativity towards it. You know, there, there's a little bit of a, a, a side eye towards it. So, um, no, I, I don't think. I mean, they might get it off the ground. They might do something, but I, I don't, I don't think they're going to be as successful as they were other places. I don't think it's as easy to kind of strong arm or, or 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 trick people into doing it. I mean, there's there's the loyalty factor too with 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 people in Japan where. You know, the dojo you came up with, the company you came up with, whatever, you're loyal to that company until just the absolute breaking point, And then maybe you move on or whatever. But like, yeah, the idea, they're just not going to be able to poach talent like they did across the world, like they've done in the U.S. or they've done in the U.K. And and I don't know. It's just like ultimately I don't know that they'll ever truly get that business up and running the way that they probably envisioned that they would, would be able to. Well, I do think there's probably other star wrestlers in Japan who have the WWE dream because we've seen Akira Tozawa and Nakamura and Io Shirai and, and people like that who uh, who did have come to WWE. So I'm sure if they did set up shop, they can get a couple of brand names. Look, Daisuke Sakamoto is a good example. Yeah. If they're oh, really Sonata would be there tomorrow. That. Yeah, I, I, I could see Sonata definitely. Well, huh. if he hasn't re-signed with, if he hasn't finally signed with New Japan. Which, right. Did I talk to you about that yet? Uh, maybe not. No, I guess not. <laughs> I guess we'll talk about it now. Uh, no, nah, you know what? No, I don't like the way people treated me about some of the other things. So I'm I'm not giving anybody that. I'm I'm gonna be a dick about it. I'm holding on to that one. Um, I, I just get bitter, Rich, because you 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 share things with people, and then you know I I, I don't want to get into it, but um, it's uh maybe I'll paywall that actually. And I'll tell you later. Okay. But something's, <laughs> something's cooking with Sonata. Okay. I got people in Japan, Rich. I got my Japan sources now with their ear to the ground. But um, but yeah, no. But look, Daisuke Sekimoto, that's kind of a left field one if there is some juice to that. And I'm sure there's other wrestlers in Japan who, who have a WWE dream. Here's the thing, though. Do they have a WWE dream? Maybe. But do they have a small-scale WWE Japan running Shinjuku face drawing 300 fans dream. 
Probably not. Right. They want to. They want to work WrestleMania. They want to work a giant right. stadium show. Do they really want to work? Yeah, in a in a you know big Japan level you know venues. You know, leave New Japan to go do you know big Japan level stuff. I, I don't know. Right. I mean, I don't. I don't know that Akira Tozawa would have made the decision. Look, Akira Tozawa just loves America and has friends here and all of that. And I don't know if an NXT Japan offer where he's going to still be in Japan and working with other Japanese wrestlers just on a much smaller scale than Dragon Gate would have appealed to him. There's no way Shinsuke Nakamura makes that move. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, unless they are on a, a larger scale in Japan, I don't think they're even going to get the Japanese wrestlers who do have that WWE dream because it's not real WWE. It's just Japanese WWE. That's the fifth largest promotion in the country or whatever. Right, right. And, and, you know, that probably isn't enticing unless you're like in zero one or, you know, slumming it up and in fucking whatever Taka's doing or whatever fucking, you know, these, these tiny promotions that are non-entities where you're not making any money, they probably get those types. You know, like Ayato Yoshida would be a guy who I'd be like, fuck, of course. Why would I want to stay in whatever the, play, the hell that place is called now? Whatever the former. Uh, oh, the former K-Dojo or whatever. Yeah, the former K-Dojo, 2PW, whatever it's called. I mean, there's no future there. There's no future for you there. OK, and if you're just an indie guy, then it's OK because you have a full time job and then you work fucking. 2PW or whatever that place is called uh, on the, uh, you know, uh, you know, times a month. And you're essentially the equivalent of a United States weekend warrior indie guy. But if you're a Yato Yoshida, you're kind of stuck there with no fucking future of making real money in wrestling. That's the kind of wrestler I think WWE and, uh, you know, NXT Japan would go after because they could offer them better money and an opportunity to move up in WWE and potentially good you know and all what's that the value in guys like that though i mean what's the value in in yeah well that's the that's the whole catch-22 because right, those like... guys are going to help you draw and make it and make an imprint on the scene they're just going to be now there's value in that in terms of that guy has a lot of upside and he could eventually move over sure to yeah but but you know in the case of the uk they were able to do upside picks and then also just yeah hey walter pete dunn you know tyler bait like these guys right. that were you know maybe not the top 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 guys but you know, right at the top or, yeah, enough guys to sort of decimate able, the scene. They were able to get them in Europe because Europe was all indies. Right. Where Japan, it's not all indies. There's major league promotions paying people legitimate money. So that's the difference. And I know you know that. But I'm just saying that's why you're able to get Walter and Pete Dunne and, and, and you know, whoever else. Because those guys were just doing indie. Those, you know, Progress and, and all these other promotions were essentially just indies. So – in Japan, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, why would – I don't know. Why would Naomichi Marafuji, just an example, who's probably has a nice contract after being in Noah for 20 years, why would he give that up, you know, to, 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 to this, and take that risk to go work for something like that? They're, they're only going to get the younger wrestlers from the very tiny promotions where it's a clear step up for them and a clear opportunity for them. And then again, you're not going to be able to make an, a, an imprint on the scene when you don't have any name value wrestlers. So it, it's it, they're they're in a real tough spot. Whereas if they were able to buy Stardom and Noah, they'd have a full fucking roster of wrestlers who would have had no say in the matter. 
your company got bought out. Here's a new contract. You know, most of them are going to sign it because they want to keep their jobs rather than risk, you know, someone else picking them up. So to me, this is a big blow for WWE. And, you know, it's it's a case where that's what I'm rooting for. I, I want them to fail miserably in attempting to open up shop in Japan. Um, it, you know, I almost want them to do it and then fail and have egg on their face on top of it. That would actually be the ideal scenario rather than never breaking through at all. But, um, yeah, the whole stardom thing is a big blow. The Noah thing is a big blow. They're taking some L's over there. They are. And they're going to have to reassess or, or really, if they want to do it, invest serious money in it. And, you know, get in the room with Bushi Road and make a real fucking offer for New Japan or something along those lines. And maybe that, unfortunately, is the end game here. Maybe it would have been better if they just buy one of these fucking rinky-dink promotions before they really get upset about it and got to and go for the big dog. You know, because business is business. If they come with an offer that they can't refuse, who knows? You can't predict that. If it's advantageous for Bushi Road, fucking sell it. Who says that they, I don't know that it's completely off the table. In business, nothing's completely off the table. But now we're just doing, you know, we're looking 19 steps down the road here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. But yeah, interesting. I mean, for you and I, I don't think it changes a whole lot. But, but you know, it'll be interesting to see where this goes with stardom and, and if, how much changes in terms of their actual like how how they approach their business and and the booking and all that sort of stuff from what I'm read to believe you know and I, again I don't know if that's gonna really hold true but like yeah it looks like it's just gonna be a little bit more marketing a little bit more of that but like yeah essentially Stardom should stay relatively the same but I, I get it from this people that are fans of the scene in general is that yeah there's a behemoth now uh, in the scene where it was just kind of a lot of little guys all kind of working you know to try to, to grow and now there's one big 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 company and it you know there's the potential for it to swallow everybody up and here's the thing. They weren't even the biggest little guy. That's the other thing I, I, that I don't think a lot of people realize. They weren't the, the best drawing Joshi promotion in Japan. And they're not the best drawing Joshi promotion in Japan. But they were the most popular Joshi promotion in the West. Right. They had a little bit more of, yeah, the, the scope. They got of, all their cachet yeah. here. Right. Correct. Whereas, but but they weren't the top drawing promotion. They, they don't draw the best Corkins and they don't run. I forget the promote because I was doing this research when I was looking into Satamora for the Hall of Fame. And, you know, there's promotions, Joshi promotions that run, you know, bigger buildings and draw, you know, 2,000, 2,500 fans for their big shows. And Stardom doesn't do that. You know, they, they, they're not and, – and that surprised me because I had the same perception that probably a lot of people do that they're the biggest Joshi – but they were. But now they unquestionably are. But they were not before this deal. All right, so that is that. While we're talking about New Japan, let's get into this King of Pro Wrestling show. We should also mention that this segment is sponsored as well by our friends at Grapple, G-R-A-P-P-L, on the App Store and Google Play. You can also follow them on Twitter, at G-R-A-P-P-L app. So let's get into this King of Pro Wrestling show, Joe. I don't know that we necessarily need to go uh, extensively over every single match. I think there's some big ones that I think deserve some some talking and, and some others that uh, I think we can skip pretty quickly. So let, let's start at the top and kind of work our way back down. Uh, the uh, main event here, IWGP Heavyweight title, Okada defeats Sonata. Uh, I almost no doubt that that was going to be the result, and we talked about how that would kind of hurt the match a little bit. Maybe is if you kind of knew what was going to happen, and there was really no you know debate as, as to who was going to get the victory. Uh, it, did that hold true? Did it kind of d- disappoint you in a little bit because you you knew who was going to win, or what would you think of this one? Oh, without question. And I thought of their four matches, this was the worst. Um, 
there was some sloppiness to this one, some minor sloppiness in this match as well. When it comes to Okada and Sonata, they have very hit or miss chemistry. I thought the G1 match was tremendous and the best of the series, and it actually had me hyped up for this match. But by the time the match came around, I wasn't really hyped up anymore. Right? It's like, it's almost like I wanted the. If the match would have been a week later, I would have been way more into it coming off of the last one because I thought the last one was awesome. This one I thought was the worst of their series. Um, still a very good match, but not a ma- not a great match. Can't call it a great match. And yes, the fact that the finish was in zero percent doubt absolutely hurt it, especially since you know they're working that you know, long submission at the end, the skull end, you got to be able to buy into a move like that. And, and it, you, you just couldn't. Whereas in a G1 scenario, you can buy into it because you, you don't know, uh, you know, the, the result is in doubt. So, uh, you know, this, it, this match was really an encapsulation of the whole show in that it was like the best possible boring match does that make sense yeah no it did yeah it, it, it was i enjoyed this match but i couldn't wait for it to end either it was one of yes. those weird things where it's just like meandering and i'm like all right guys i know what's gonna happen let's just let's go let's just get on with it we don't need to go 36 minutes with this thing let's just you know get it over with a little bit but yeah it was like good well worked solid action but i really like just wanted it to end <laughs> at a certain point so yeah and this was a show i would and even as a show as a whole it's a show i would never revisit you know but there was nothing wrong with it. It was pretty good. Like, all of the top matches were pretty good. I thought one match was great. Uh, like, off the charts, great. And the rest of it was pretty good. And But the problem was the top two matches, just there was no drama whatsoever. And that and that hurts. And it's almost like if they, if they know that there's not going to be drama, then why not do a different kind of match? Have Sonata fucking rush him at the bell or... I don't know, but at the same they time... They did do that a little bit. I, what I did like is in this match, they did do that. Like, the first minute of this match was, like, high pace and a bunch of reversals and all that sort of stuff. And then the problem was is I knew when they were going to do that that it was like, fuck, we're in for another, like, 35 minutes of these guys, like, going back. That's exactly what they did. They went hot out of the gates for a minute, and then the next, you know, 30-plus minutes were just, you know, typical Okada Sonata fair, but done at the slowest possible pace that you've ever seen, so... Yeah, and, and, and I don't know. It was just... Uh... It's just a, a very good match that I just wasn't all that interested in, which sounds weird because if you're not interested, is it a good match? I mean, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I, I, I like intellectually what I'm watching is is good, but it was it was easily not it was not just the least interesting match that they've had. I also thought it was uh you know of of their of their matches, the one that was uh it, it did not have the cleanest work of the four. I thought it was the, was it, what am I trying to say? The worst worked of the four? Yeah, a little, I, I don't know sloppy, if that's the, the right way of the four. It. Yeah, the, the one that felt the least kind of cohesive, I, I would say. It just, yeah, I don't know. There was, there was, yes, and I thought the one match was the best of them. Uh, as far as grapple users, 3.91 uh, for this one as well. So that's, I, I consider that pretty underwhelming for, for a King of Pro Wrestling main event there uh, under four stars. It's, yeah, listen, listen. Your King of Pro Wrestling main event with Kazuchika Okada needs to be better than that. That, though, is the same neighborhood I'd have the match. You know, 375 to 4, somewhere in that range is, is where I'd put the match. But that, yes, that is disappointing. That's, you know, considering where the bar is for, the, for this show and who, and, you know, the, the, the guy that's involved. 
All right, so we'll move on to Evil and Kotobushi. This is, of course, for the uh, the Wrestle Kingdom briefcase here. Again, another match that I think probably hurt because there was no doubt. I mean, like, almost even more than Sonata. I mean, of course, the Sonata thing wasn't going to happen, but there was, like, zero, literally no doubt in in, in the universe that Evil was going to win this this briefcase. There was maybe a way to justify, like, a Sonata, but there was no way. But, like, zero. Like, a zero percent chance Evil was going to win this. And I actually thought this was a worse match, too, than, than, than you know, uh, Okada and Sonata. I did not like this one. I just thought this one just went on and on and on and on and just never felt like it was going to end and i don't know i just had no interest in this match what do you think of it did you like it you know like it more than me i have the same thoughts as the main event i just i feel like if it was a g1 match i would have liked it more even if it was the exact same match but i had you know again you you just you know evil has zero chance of winning so it really does suck a lot out of it so um i almost view them as identical the top two on the show. Yeah, and my ratings were the same too for both of them. I bought three and a half stars uh, with, yeah. with both of them. Uh, Grapple users like this match a little bit more, 3.96 uh, for this one. So slightly above Evil and, and, and uh, or uh, Okada and Sonata, but not a ton uh, over that. Let's get into some of the other stuff here. Some, some I think, pretty fun matches that were on the can card I see, as well. Yeah, go ahead. Can I see something we forgot about the main event? The post-match mattered more than the match. Sonata on his hands and knees, weeping, because he knows this was his like last shot for the foreseeable future, and he blew it. Mm-hmm. And that great shot of Okada watching him weep. <laughs> and give him the and thumbs up. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, hey. And it's like Okada knows because he's been there. Yeah. Been there, buddy. Keep your head up. Right. <laughs> One day it'll come. And they got that great camera shot of it all. And with what I'm hearing about Sonata, don't forget that moment, is all I'm saying. That to me was bigger than the match itself. Was the post match that you know what this you know what this, that main event was? It was thirty seven minutes to get to that moment. <laughs> to get to Sonata crying and and Okada giving him a thumbs up. Yeah. Yes, that's what it was, and it almost that's almost why it, the match almost needs to be that long because you need Sonata to. It's like if you do the sprint like we suggested before, that moment isn't doesn't sink in the same. He lost a grueling 40-minute match. He doesn't know whether he's ever going to get a shot again. He finally got him in the G1. He thought he was going to get him here, and he didn't. And then you got that great moment where he's just emotionally exhausted, right? Right. He had to and- do everything that he could. and He had to work a perfect match and wrestle a perfect match and, and have him ready for his finisher, and he did. He had everything ready to go, and it was just like, fuck, even that wasn't good enough. Like, goddamn it. It's like... Yes, and I think that's why the main event resonates with me a little more than the evil Ibushi match, which was just a match that one guy was going to win and whatever. But that moment really is the only takeaway I'll ever have from this Okada-Sonata match. And it was a moment that wrapped up their year-long story. Right? It's like, now it's over. And Okada's the better man. And Sonata had made, has made progress this year. And now he moves to the back burner for a while. We've seen New Japan do this. But you know that that's not the last of him in these main events. They like Sonata. And, and they wouldn't have ended that story the way they did if they didn't like him. Right. And if and when they get him under contract, which I may or may not be privy to some information... I think you'll really see them continue to push him because I think that they know there's something there. Now, 
Do I think he needs a fresh coat of paint? I do. I think his look is a little too high. He needs, he, he needs some changes. And I do think he needs to, the other thing was the end, you know, that scene is him finally showing some emotion. He never emotes. And I know that's part of the gimmick. But it was also nice to see Sonata show some emotion. Yeah, well, you know, honestly, that's I know it's part of his gimmick, but I think that's kind of life imitating art there in a little bit too, because he's a guy who, you know, I, I you know, even his his say a Sonata days, he was a guy who who always yeah. felt like you were just like, come on, like let's get a little energy, let's go, let's smile, let's get mad, let's get angry. Like he just kind of always had this Sonata look on his face, and 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 yeah, it's nice to see him kind of open up a little bit. And I think that that'd be huge for for his career. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to bring bring all this up because I do think that was actually more more important than the match itself that post-match stuff and if he does really want to get over and get to the next level he's got to find a way to to show a little more emotion he just has to I get it's part of the gimmick now but it's not always going to be part of it it's and I get part of the appeal is that he's kind of dry I get that's kind of you know he's kind of like that dry sense of humor when he does cut promos and stuff I get that that's part of it but that's not a main event energy is what I'm getting at. That's not a that's not ace energy. You know that that's energy of a guy who loses main event matches and cries when it's that's like for him to get over to hump, there are gonna have to be some subtle changes to who he is and what his character is. Anyway, I just I, I didn't want us to forget yeah, to talk no, about that's, that's that's good stuff. Uh so now let's move on. This match here uh it was for the IWGP United States uh heavyweight title. So of course Moxley was unable to get to the show, so he was stripped of his title, and instead we had a uh, vacant title, and we had Lance Archer defeating Juice Robinson to become the new champion. A really cool moment for Lance Archer, and I thought a really fun match, too. Maybe, uh, you know, I liked it maybe a little slightly less than the main event, but but ultimately, though, um, in terms of, you know, what I was going to expect and, and whatnot, um, really good. Uh, really, really solid match. One to definitely go out of your way to check out, because it was a unique match, and these two guys, you know, had not been in the ring prior, I think, even for tag matches, I thought they said uh, as well. So pretty cool to see a, a completely fresh new matchup in New Japan, but what do you think uh, of Archer and Robinson? Totally the right call. As soon as Moxley didn't make it and they put him in the match, I even tweeted out. I said, this is a great opportunity to take advantage of this and put this title on Lance Archer. And uh, strike while the iron's hot. Got over big time in a G1. Just do it. And that's what they did. And I like the pre-match thing where Archer grabbed the mic and he was like, this was a no DQ match. That's what these people paid for. I still want to give him a no yeah. DQ match. <laughs> I like that. It was a cool little touch, yeah. And then they went out there and did the plunder, and I thought it was really good plunder. And I think that, um, you know, it was, it was, I thought it was a lot better than some other people gave it credit for. I have no idea what Grapple's going to say. I'm sure you're going to let us know. But um, I thought this was just as good as anything on the show, barring one match. I thought, you know, this was just as good as the other two matches we just talked about in a completely different way because it was more exciting because you didn't know who was going to win. The outcome was in doubt for one. And, this show had a lot of matches that were different. You had the crazy junior match. You had this plunder match. You had Suzuki Liger that we're going to talk about. Um, you know, then you had your typical long main event world title match. There was a lot of different kinds of matches on this show. And there was a lot of variety. And, you know, people talk about New Japan house style. They, they definitely have a house style in their main events. There's no question. But you look up and down these cards. There's a lot of variety on these cards. And this card was a good example of that. And, uh, yeah, I thought this was one of the more interesting matches on the show. I really liked it. Uh, so Grapple used just 3.42 for this one, which, I, you know, again, when, when you compare it with the, those main events, uh, not bad. You know, I, I'd say pretty good. I, but I, I would probably have them a little bit closer 
than, than those ones. But uh, we'll move on here uh, to some of the other matches here. Uh, Chaos. It was Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi defeating Jay White, Kenta, uh, and Yujiro here in a, in a tag match. Any anything really stand out to you about this match? Or it's a, it's, a, it's a nothing match. I, I really, don't even yeah, have I, I, I have nothing to say. Uh, Grapple users two point eight two uh, for that one as well. So now we'll get to the match that it, I know you want to talk. See about. what happened. See, what happened was they ended up moving that match around when the card changed, and they originally the show was going to end with the five singles matches, but for whatever reason they wedged that in between them. And I really think that derailed the momentum of the show. I don't know why they did that, but um, it was a nothing match. It was kind of weird. Yeah, the, 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 the structure of the show, which in case you didn't know, Zack Sabre Jr. also wasn't able to make it. Moxie wasn't able to make it. So stuff yeah. got moved around and changed and, and, and matches got changed. So, yeah, they, they kind of moved you know, some little stuff around and, and, and put some tag matches at different places or whatnot. But, yeah, that, that, this match really felt out of place like amongst a lot of yeah. the other stuff that went on in the show. So yeah, I, I really have like, I honestly, I don't even remember much from it. If I'm and, and, and to me, the, 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 the Jay White Goto feud to me has no juice. I just, I'm not into it at all. Well, he's a geek. I mean, and, like, and, and that's what like Jay White's telling you. He's like, ah, you're a piece of shit. You're a geek. And it's just like, I don't, I don't know that Goto is really doing anything to tell you that he's not. He just keeps coming out and being like, no, 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 I'm, I want to face you. And Jay White's just going, no, I'm not going to face you. And then I'm like, all right, well, why, why, why do I care about this? <laughs> I like both guys, and I just um, I can't get into it. Now, when the bell rings for that main event at Power Struggle, maybe I'll be into it. But I, but again, it's going to struggle because for the same reasons the, the main events on this show struggled because Jay White is winning. So how am I going to get into it? Maybe that's why I'm not into it. Right. The whole world knows that Naito is beating Taichi. Another match that I'd rather go sit in a fucking dentist chair than watch <sighs> that match again. And we all know that Naito's winning that match and then challenging Jay White. So the next show's going to struggle too. But yeah, just I don't know. I couldn't get into this tag because I'm just not into these two guys and their match that's coming up. But anyway. All right. So there's that one. Uh, we'll move on to that guy here. Uh, IWGB Junior Heavyweight title match. Will Ospreay defending the title successfully against El Fantasmo. Joe, this is my match of the night. I fucking love this match. What do you think? Oh, of mine too. I think this was easily the match of the night. Like by a wide margin. Like I went four and a half on this. I think it's one of the... You know, uh, better New Japan matches, um, you know, of the year. I mean, anything four and a half or over is going to is going to be in that category. Um, listen, I just talked about a, a feud that's not interesting. The Willow Spray, El Phantasmo, uh, Robbie Eagles, Taiji Ishimori thing that's been going on to me is the most interesting storyline in the entire company right now. It is the story that I am the most into in this entire company. I have no interest in Naito Taiji. I have no interest in Jay White, Hiroki Goto. Uh, Okada is on ice until January 4th. Uh, Luger, uh, Luger, Liger and Suzuki. Is, <laughs> it's been a long like day. Different. It's been a long day. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Liger and Suzuki is over. That was interesting, but it's done. As far as what's going on in the company right now, every time that that combination of these four guys get in the ring, Rich, it's fucking great. And they, they tell great stories. In these matches, this one was no exception. And it always fucking delivers. And really, it started two years ago in MCW, that uh, that Melbourne Championship Wrestling match, the first Robbie Eagles-Willow Spray match. That's where all of this started. And then it continued the next year when they had their second match. And then it that's part of the canon here. And then El Phantasmo kind of taking Robbie Eagles' place as Ishimori's partner. Robbie Eagles doing the turn in Australia, where all of this started to begin with. Now Robbie Eagles is teaming with Will Ospreay. Now they're feuding over all of these different titles. 
I don't know about you. I'm in. I am into the story as much as I am into the matches when it comes to these four guys. I think all of this is great. I think this is the best stuff going on in the company. All it's carrying them through the fall uh, for me. And uh, this match was fantastic. Yet Phantasmo, you know, uh, with the whole ruse that we all knew he wasn't going to work clean, but you know, he worked clean for the first five minutes before he finally showed his true colors. And then uh, I thought, you know, again, great storytelling every time these guys get in the ring. And, uh, you know, Phantasmo is a tremendous heel. He is just a great heel. He gets he gets heat from people. on. I love that people on Twitter hate him because that's what he's going for. Yeah. And and uh, and he's a great wrestler. I don't see why people think that you know why people think this guy's not a good wrestler because they don't like him. It's one of those things because he's a very good wrestler. He's no Will Ospreay. Okay, don't get me wrong, but he's not that far behind. I thought I thought he in this keeps match, up. With, well, my 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 hot take in this match was going to be that I thought Phantasm was better than Osprey in this match. And that's nothing against Will Osprey. He that's was great. All, in the match. That's all for yeah. Phantasm. I thought he was tremendous in this match. I thought his flying looked great. Everything he did looked great. His selling was great. Like the, the hidden blade that he took was just fucking phenomenal. Like Will Osprey is great. Will Osprey is fantastic. But I thought Phantasmo outshined him on this night and there's not often where will osprey can get outshined and that that is again nothing against will osprey whatsoever but i thought phantasma was ex- exceptional on this in, in this match i can't kill that take because he was fucking great in this match from his character work to his bell to bell work i mean he, everything was on point here he's been such a great addition to this company because he not only brings tremendous character work to the junior division and something different and something for people to boo and really hate but he can keep up with anybody in the ring. He's tremendous in the ring, too. And he works to the gimmick. And how about him stealing all of the former Bullet Club leaders' finishing moves, right? And adding that into his repertoire. Yeah. Where he does all of these former Bullet Club guys, he does all of their shit, but he does it, he does it not quite as good as they did it. And I, you know what I mean? And it's like, and that adds a layer, too. It's like, you're not AJ Styles. You don't do the fucking, um, uh, it's really late, Rich. What's AJ Styles? Uh, the, <laughs> styles, the styles Clash? Match. Yeah, the Styles Clash. You don't do the Styles Clash as well as him. And you don't do Kenny Omega shit as well as him. And you don't do Devitt shit as well. But he incorporates it because he's a fucking prick. And he knows it's going to remind the fans of those guys and hate them even more that he's trying to emulate those dudes who are fucking legends in the company. And it's like, yeah, he was so great here. Will was great here. And it's, you know, and, and, and forget, like, yeah, the spots were incredible. And they nailed all of them, right? But the storytelling here was just as good. And that Hidden Blade, and you mentioned it already, that was Kota Ibushi level on the Hidden Blade. That Hidden Blade, look, I joke about the Judas Effect. And, you know, I I, I genuinely do like the Judas Effect. I do. But the Hidden Blade is the fucking move. That's the real move of the year. That has been such a great addition to Will's repertoire. It's dangerous. It looks legitimately dangerous. It looks like it can, you know, finish anybody. It does finish everybody. And this one was fucking incredible. And I don't know if you saw night one of the Super Junior Tag League, but Phantasmo came out with a taped up neck and is still selling the that's fucking neck. That's awesome. I love it. No, I did not see that, but I love it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it was it, it, it's, it was Birds of Prey versus Phantasmo and Ishimori. And again, they fucking killed it. Had another four-star plus match uh, two nights ago in Cork. And, and uh, you know, he's fucking he's – sell- he's got the neck taped up. He's like struggling to get his T-shirt off before the match because he's selling that fucking hidden blade. Again, to me, this is the best rivalry in the company right now, and it's carrying them through the fall. Love the match. Love both guys in it. Can't praise it enough. Uh, Grapple users, 4.18 for that one. So that is, I believe, yeah, that is the match of the night uh, per Grapple users. But I think it's, it's, it's the correct pick as well. So I, I would 100% agree uh, with that. So now we got to move on to a match. Oh, boy. 
Minoru Suzuki and Jushin Thunder Liger. So now, <laughs> here's the thing. In a vacuum, this match was good. I enjoyed this match a lot. It was, to me, the, my, the, 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 probably the second favorite match of the night after Will Ospreay and El Fantasmo. With that said, I was also tremendously disappointed by it. Because the build was, we are going to kill each other. Minoru Suzuki says, I am literally going to kill this guy. Jushin Thunder Liger apologizes to people about what they're going to see on this night. So I'm thinking, Joe, we're going to get spikes. We're going to get Kitchen Liger. We're going to get fire. We're going to get blood. And then they go in the ring, and they have a wrestling match. And yeah. a good wrestling match. A wrestling match that I enjoyed. But it did not. if this was just a random booked match that they just said, hey, Minoru Suzuki and Jushin Thunder Liger are going to have a match at uh, King of Pro Wrestling, I would have said, oh, cool. And this would have been the match, and I would have said, oh, cool match. I enjoyed that. That was fun. But we spent months with these guys ripping each other apart, trying, you know, people having to hold, Tanahashi having to hold Liger back, and Liger beating him up, and, like, all this sort of stuff. All this all this build, an incredible build, a great build, promos, and everything. And they just had a wrestling match, Joe. They just got in the ring and grappled. What the fuck was this? Listen. I don't even have anything to add. You nailed it. This what the fuck. <laughs> this was a match that just did not match the build. Listen, if they would have built this as Minoru Suzuki, I want to test my skills against you, and I know I can beat you at your game. It, then it would have made sense. But that wasn't the build. The build was someone's gonna die. I hate you and I want your blood. I tried to put a railroad spike through your skull. <laughs> and yeah, you know what I mean? And the other guy saying, you are Keichi Yamada and, and I want, and you're a coward because you wear a mask and I'm going to kill you. And then they get in the ring and they decide they want to test each other's grappling skills. It just didn't match the build and it took me out of it because I was expecting something that we didn't get. And I and I and I was ex- I was waiting for someone to snap, and it never really happened. Yeah, I know Suzuki worked a little dirty towards the end, but man, this did not meet my expectations. This did not meet this. This just wasn't the match that they built. So it, unfortunately, that meant it was a little disappointing. And I'm sorry, Minoru Suzuki doing a little bow at the end. All right, it was nice, but that didn't fucking save this thing. No, for me. no, no. I'll be honest with you. I don't want him bowing at the end. I wanted them to try to kill each other. Okay? And I wanted Liger to beat this motherfucker and then spit on him when it was over. Because that's the build they gave us. Don't give us that build if this is what you're going to give us. Yeah, that's you know, my respect problem. Angle. I did not want to respect Angle at the end of this. This, no, guy, this, was literally, like this guy spent eight months calling you a job or calling you a nothing, bad-mouthing you, ripping the mask, doing all that sort of stuff, and and, and eventually Liger had to just deep, go, dig deep down and, and bring out Kishin Liger and, and try, literally, as you said, try to stab the guy with a railroad spike like a, a few weeks ago, and now I respect you. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Nice Let's job. test our skills, friend. <laughs> right, like, I, yeah. And you could have I mean, just done that. You could have just said eight months ago, Liger, Liger wants to prove it, and Minoru says, yeah, one day, one day, one day, and then they have, like, again, like I said, there was a many different scenarios where this match in a vacuum would have been fine. This match with any other build, but the build was told that these guys were going to kill each other, literally kill each other. They were going to apologize for what we were going to see, and then what we saw was decent worked grappling. So, yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> it was, yeah. We got a Pancras tribute match instead of what they built. And 
if that's what they had built, I would have been, I would have liked it a lot more. For sure. I didn't, Absolutely. I didn't, hate, I didn't hate it or anything. No, the it was, was good. good. The, I liked the match a lot, but it was like, no, it's just like when it was over, I was like, no, no, no. I spent eight months waiting for this match and this is how it ends. Like, no, no. Man, did they leave me empty at the end. I almost would have preferred if Suzuki killed him with the chair instead of bowing to him. Yeah, kill him with the chair, put him down, spit like you said, spit on him and just say, I told you you're a jobber. I told you you're just nothing. Right. So. And then maybe have another one and then have but but this, I don't know what the fuck this I don't know, yeah, but I think we made our point. I Absolutely. Don't know. Yeah, I, we don't have to go on too much longer for that one. But uh, Grapple Users, 3.91 for this one, which I think is, um, again, I, it, it's a weird match. Like, in a vacuum, it, it's probably that good. It just doesn't, doesn't I don't think that. Listen, I don't think that rating is off. No. I mean, that's about where I had it. I think I had 3.75 for this. Um, you know, it, it, I, it's – and actually, I think there were – I think a lot of people had it way higher than that. I mean, there were people who were way into this. And again, a different kind of build, maybe I would have been way into it too. But, you know, the, the, the build is what hurt it for me. All right, and then a few other matches here we can run through pretty quickly as we're running out of time here. Uh, Shingo and, and Naito uh, defeat Duki and uh, Taichi by DQ. Um, God, this was so uninteresting. <laughs> I, I was hoping you had something to like, say. So. I don't know. I just, I have no, in- listen, and here's the thing. I bet you Naito and Taichi have a good match. Because they always have good Probably. matches. Yeah, I don't care. I don't want to watch it though. <laughs> I'd rather go get a root canal. I just, I, I can't. I no interest whatsoever. If Naito needed a singles win to set off his challenge of White later in the night, why not someone fresh? There's a million guys on the roster, right? And I do wonder I, if our Zack Sabre Jr. thing would have played into this had you know he not made you know, you know it, it not made the flight, and maybe they had to. <laughs> juggle some things together and, and, and make it not, I, I do wonder if Taichi was actually supposed to be the guy or you know what everybody told me when I was saying that that I'm wrong it's going to be Taichi and I guess they're right yeah. but I guess we'll never know either that's the thing I'd rather see Zack Sabre Jr it's not what's going to happen I'd rather see any Rich I would have preferred Mad Mikey Nichols coming down the fucking <laughs> entrance just to something new right I'm I mean you. fuck there's so many people on the roster why why? So many repeat matches. It's bad enough. Look, they do it at the top of the card, and I get it. And even though I don't like it all, a lot of times, I defend it because I understand it, because I don't want to burn through things. But this little mid-card match here to give Naito a singles win, we really got to do Taichi again. I mean, really. We can't come up with someone else. <sighs> and then there was Tanahashi and Hanma uh, versus uh, Makabe and Yano. Did you have any uh, strong takes on that one either? I was just Tanahashi's 20th anniversary yeah. thing. And it, in a way, it was down there with Haru in a way, was, was hanging out. Yes. So. so, you know, you don't really care that it's not a work rate classic. You just want to get your moments. And you did. It was fine. Uh, and then Suzuki Gun, uh, Desperado, and Kanemoro defeats Rapungi 3K Show and Yo. So. Okay, this is interesting because this is supposed to be like a multi-man, but because of the travel issues, it got changed to a straight tag. But the interesting thing is they were scheduled to face each other the first night in Cork and in the tournament. So this ended up being like a prelude to the tournament, right? And then when Despi and Kanemuru won, I was like, oh, well, that must mean Rapongi 3K is going to win the tournament match in a couple days. And they didn't. Despi and Kanemuru <laughs> beat so him again weird, yeah. in Corkin. And, and I listen, I love Despi and Kanemuru. You know I love those two guys. And I kind of hope that they win the tournament. I know that they probably won't. Um, I also would be okay with another Birds of Prey versus um, 
Desperado and Ishimori final. If they give us that as the final and have, let them have a fourth match this year, I'll have no problem with that because two of their other three matches have been great. I didn't really love the one on uh, Royal Quest, but the other two matches they had I thought were really great. Um, but yeah, I was so surprised. They've now that they beat Rapongi K Rapongi 3K two nights in a row. Isn't that weird? Wouldn't you think that they would? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be kind of a 50-50 there, especially because it's like, I, and honestly, it's like, it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if it was another team, but I feel like we're probably 3K, I mean, of all teams, to like have them lose two straight to, to Desperado and Kanemoro, it doesn't seem like those would be the guys to do it. So that yeah, is pretty surprising. That, that That's what I mean, but it seems like they're really given, because normally when a guy comes back from injury, they lose too. That's the other weird thing. Like, I don't know. It just didn't make a ton of sense. The, the only reason them winning made sense to me was, oh, okay, they're going to lose in Corkin. And then they fucking won. But um, that Corkin show, by the way, Rich, the four tournament matches, I know you're a busy man. Well worth going out okay. anyways. Yeah, I, I have it on the plan for tomorrow. So hopefully I'll get some chance to, to watch those. Because I, I, do, I do enjoy this tournament. So I'm, I'm hoping that I can I can check in at least for, for at least the Corkin shows or the big shows uh, of the tournament. So I will definitely the main event. main event was great that I told you about already. The... Despi Kanemaru versus Rapongi 3K rematch was, and and the other two matches, um, everything on the first night was like three and a half or above, with the main event being over four. So, um, yo, know, and then you get a feel for it. You don't gotta watch it every night. I mean, that's not necessary. But uh, that first night's really good. All right, and that is going to be it for us, unfortunately, this week of uh, this edition of the Voice Wrestling Collection. We're recording this much later than usual. Uh, oh, my it, God. You can tell <laughs> that's the case as well. But uh, anyway, voicewrestling.com slash Patreon for all of our subscriber side uh, content. Uh, voicewrestling.com for all of our columns, reviews, previews, all that other good stuff, as well as the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can listen to all the other great podcasts. Uh, that we have on this network. Also, voicewrestling.com slash Discord if you want to join our uh, Discord server. There are good discussions about everything going on in the wrestling world, uh, as well as sports and entertainment and all the other good stuff as well. Anyway, that's Joe Lanza. I'm Rich Krejci. We'll see you guys next time on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Take care. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.